Pirates, Censorship and Assassinations. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's the podcast where Willie P has never ever read a Marvel comic book in his life. And he will watch a Marvel movie or a TV show or a Marvel project. And then he'll quiz me, the Marvel expert, on how these things relate, compare and contrast to the Marvel comics. And together, holding hands, we'll strive through... 60-odd years of trivia and history and and stories from the Marvel Universe. Hello and welcome to that MVM cast. My name is Rob Holden, comedian, writer and the Marvel expert, half of the equation. And I'm joined as always by the man who is powered by a confused look of general ignorance, it's Will Preston. Confused, constipated, strained, all part of the ignorance spectrum. <laughs> you can get all five looks now. All you have to do is stop reading. <laughs> <laughs> what a time we've been having in this merry month of March, Will. Oh, I yes. mean, Flipping heck. Things have really kicked off for us in the last couple of months. Yes. Um, the last 30 plus days. So we want to say a big welcome. Uh, hello, heart, to all of our new listeners who seem to be joining us more and more every single week. We're so glad that you're with us. We're so glad you're exploring the archive of all the uh, incredible episodes that we've got stacked up there. From phases one and two of the MCU to the X-Men movies. Uh, Spider-Man, we've got the full Venom journey, the full Venom compendium available. Venom compendium, the Vemendium. Venom, the, the Vempendium. Um, <laughs> yes! And of course we began our exploration of the 1990s, the, the basically the 90s shared Marvel Universe, the, the 90s Marvel animated world. Um, we put down the animated X-Men show and of course the animated... Iron Man show, slightly different in quality. We found that one out. <laughs> we found no, out that it was slightly indeed. different in quality. Coming up, though, on this show, we, ladies and gentlemen, are taking a look at the last Marvel project before everything changed. The last Marvel moving picture before... We had the Blade movie redefine what comic books could do and mean and what Marvel could be at the box office as we take a stroll into the full history and beginnings of Nick Fury. We're gonna Ooh. we're gonna be exploring I mean he is a linchpin of the MCU. We're gonna delve into Nick Fury's creation. His birth and his rebirth, we've got the creation of S.H.I.E.L.D. on the show. We've got the history of HYDRA, the comings, the goings, the retcons. We've got talk on maybe the greatest Marvel artist ever. And also the time when Nick Fury was too sexy for the comic book industry to take. It's all to come (laughs) Uh, later on in the show. Will, we've been having so much fun. And we with have so many new listeners and people getting in touch. Um, I think it's only fair to let them all know what the OGs already know, and that's that they can get a big, healthy dosage of Will Preston three times a week. How do they do that? Oh, all they have to do is go on Twitch and check me out my Twitch stream out, which is Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, six PM. You can get me at Will. Sorry, Twitch.tv slash Will Preston eighty seven. 
What are you playing at the moment, Will? Uh, I had a bit of a dalliance with some other games. I was playing Elite Dangerous, which is like space trucking and space combat. And then uh, I tried to build a city on city skylines. Uh, and, I, and I'm really addicted to that in my spare time again. I was up till 2am yesterday playing it and I had work today, which is very irresponsible. Uh, no one should ever hire me. <laughs> but I'm so wait, ha- you, weren't, you, you, played, you played a game that you're streaming until 2am, but you oh, didn't no. stream it. No, 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 no. I, I was playing it on my own. I didn't stream it because I, I was just there going. I had a t- I had a TV show in the background. I'm constructing my city, getting the pavements right, getting the paths right, getting the. <laughs> you got to get. You got to get the pavements right. Exactly. These are pavements. these are citizen pathways. They can eliminate traffic. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to start talking about the pedestrianisation of Norwich city centre in a bit. Uh, boom. I won't. Boom. Yeah. But I'm back on my old favourite Kerbal Space Program, and I have launched endless satellites and landed the first bit of a mining base on the surface of Mercury. Boom. So uh, how? I mean. How much more advanced do you think you are than the people that got the the, the, the rover on Mars? Uh, I am nowhere near them. I have a lot of uh, training wheels in the game. I actually have a lot. You've of auto- built a base on I've Mercury. Built- oh yeah, I just it was like Lego. I put bits together, <laughs> and I have a computer that says, "Yeah, this is how much velocity you can get using this ship with its weight and everything." Uh, and then and then what I do is I try. And fail loads of times, and it doesn't matter because I'm playing a game in, in a world where everybody's a lot more invested in space exploration than they are now, uh, which is just problematic, really, isn't it? Problematic. Give us that URL one more time, Will. How do we find you? You can find me at twitch.tv slash willpreston87. As ever on this podcast, what we like to do is peer into the 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 cold dead sockets of Will's eyes cool. <laughs> to peer in to <laughs> the brain the muggly mind that lays within because we want to see what what the inner workings are i mean i i think that could be a whole other podcast in and of itself where i just psychoanalyze will and just trying to get to the root of of uh, of, of the essence of preston uh, but we have had it. That, but have had it. What we do want to do normally, we're dealing with a character in like one of their early appearances or something, and we can we can say to Will, "Did you have any awareness of this character at the time?" This is good. That will be a short one. Will in 1998 mm-hmm. or thereabouts, did you have any awareness of Nicholas Fury, Agent of Shield? Nicholas Nickleby, no. Nicholas Nicholas Fury, no. No, no, nothing. Absolutely zilch. Uh, I'm going to make so this what, answer much longer by using the <laughs> word no again. Well, well, what I want to do then in the Muggle section is to say, what were your thoughts then on going from Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury, when 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 it was revealed to you that there is a previous... A previous version of Nick Fury. There is a previous well, movie out there. He he's not Sam Jackson. He's a white guy, and it's the guy from Baywatch. I was about to say he's the white guy. It's David Hasselhoff, uh, <laughs> the whitest white man, so white that he united Germany. Uh, <laughs> uh, actually, I, I was going to point a little hole in your questioning. I didn't know about Nick Fury in 1998, but I knew about Nicolas Cage much uh, a bit later before I started watching the Marvel films. 
Nicholas Cage? Not Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Fury. No. Nick Nicholas... Fury. Oh no! Now I'm, gonna, I'm imagining okay, I'm played I'm, by Nicholas Cage now. So, so saying Nicholas has has damaged Will's brain. I'm going to stop that now. It's I damaged my autocorrect wordplay. My autocorrect. I can't have. I can't have innocent wordplay, and it's thrown him off. But so you you did know about Nick Fury. Uh, at, at one point, because I was looking for a TV guide, and it showed a picture of Nicholas. Sorry, no, nearly did it. It David Hasselhoff with an eye patch, you know, and it's like oh, TV really? movie. Yeah, yeah, it, it was there. And 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 I, then I looked on the internet later, uh, and, and I saw oh, they've been trying to. This is a character from Marvel Comics because I think around the same time, I think this is like uh, early to mid two thousands. I I I was massively into Snake Plissken. I still am massively into Snake Plissken from Escape from New York. So I saw a guy with an eye patch, and I was like, ooh, that's a bit Snake Pliskiny. And I, a guy with been... an eye patch. That was all it. All it took. All it took. Guy with an eye patch. Uh, okay. Cigarette not or a, a cigar. Not, not pirate. Not pirate. You didn't think no. he was a pirate? No. Pirates don't pull off the okay. same swagger. They do not pull okay. off the same swagger. <clears throat> so, but then, what did you think then? So, so, so before before we watched it, what did you think going from Samuel L. Jackson, Jackson to Hasselhoff? I knew uh, I could predict exactly how it would be, and it was. I I I I I knew this was just like a, a cheaper effort. I thought it was going to be campy, and it was, because that's yeah. what David Hasselhoff is. David Hasselhoff is the guy you want when you you're not worried. You don't what you don't want is a quality performance. You want the nostalgia factor of hey, it's the Hoff. Remember him? He united Germany by single-handedly well, tearing down on, the wall. Hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Ninety-eight. This is not nostalgia at all. David Hasselhoff is a big ratings winner. Really. In 1998, Baywatch is the biggest TV show in the 90s. I thought I thought it was early 90s. It had just launched its spin-off, Baywatch Nights. Um, Hoff, you know, Hoff still he's not exactly. I don't know. He's not exactly. He was. He's never really first choice to. I don't know front anything else that lasted. But he 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 certainly was. You know, he certainly was um, a dependable recognize. You know, he had a very high Q rating. You could you could really put him on TV and people would know who he was. So I think yeah. it's not a nostalgia thing in in ninety eight. But I take your point. No one is, um, yeah. I, I ha- <laughs> right, purely on the appearance. Yeah, he has the height. He has the physicality. Yep. He looks like Nick Fury. He looks one hundred percent like Nick Fury. He does. Um, I've seen pictures of him, and he yeah. really does. You know, it's, it's it's astounding. That 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 is that is a physical dream casting in my mind. Uh, <laughs> I, I I struggle to think of any better from the just from the just from the appearance. This might be the best casting in the history of Marvel <laughs> project. I mean, oh come Wesley on, Wesley Snipes as Blade is probably. Perfect. Robert Downey Jr. as Iron no, Man. We need to stop doing this. We need to stop doing this. <laughs> he is a tiny little hobbit man. <laughs> <laughs> and he did... Like, you could have put... You could have put that facial hair on any white person with brown or black hair and it would have been exactly the same. So physically... And also, uh, personality-wise, he did not match Iron Man. He's cha- as we've discussed in the in the last episode. He changed what Iron Man what Iron Man presented in Iron Man's yeah. personality. He was not a good match for Iron Man to begin with. Okay, that's true. Okay, Snipes has Blade, and I'm gonna I'm gonna nail my flag to, 
to this one. <laughs> David Hasselhoff physically is dream casting for Nick Fury. Um, <laughs> that's 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 what I'm going to say. Now you've got um, you've been digging around and ferreting around as you are want to do, broadcast journalist that you are, um, and you've discovered some tidbits about this. But it's not quite as easy as when we uh, take a look at the the modern movies because with the modern movies there are. Like whole websites d- d- dedicated to the the production and the the budget and the marketing department and who was in what role. But you've got something for us. What have you got, Will? I've got quite a lot. I have everything but the budget because it was a TV movie. Uh, you've got the budget. Do, do I have the budget? Do- I'm sure you've got the budget. If you haven't got the budget, I've got the budget. Okay. You, ah, here we go. I, I haven't written it down. Six. Yeah, million, you got the budget. Six million dollar budget in 1998 money. That's a lot. Of uh, what? What could you buy in 1998? That's a lot of 56k modems, Digimon cards, Digimon cards. That's a lot of Pokemon cards, Digimon cards, Mon cards. Any kind of Mon cards. That's a lot of Mon cards. Anyway, six million dollar budget for essentially it was a TV movie. This was supposed. Yeah. To, it was. A, it was basically. It was a Fox TV movie in 1998, intended to be what we call a backdoor pilot for a new TV series. So essentially, it's a it's, it's a backdoor pilot. Right. What would you say that is? Because you you you're probably more aware of that terminology than me. Oh, uh, okay. So there's an episode of CSI where mm. they go to Miami, and when they get to Miami, they meet a whole bunch of Miami CSI guys. Mm. And that's a backdoor pilot for CSI Miami. Okay, so a true pilot is you launch it right out the gate. Okay, a yep. backdoor pilot is when it's a pilot in another medium, usually an existing should, popular yeah. TV series. That's how you do it Morgan, in comics, isn't it? In comics, uh, you you introduce a character, or you have a character in another person's comic, or a comic in another comic, and then that you sort of introduce them. Isn't that how uh, Spider Man got started off? Um. Well, there are. I mean, I guess so, but it's not quite the same. So with comic okay. books, you have anthology series like yes. Amazing Fantasy, yes. which is always looking. I mean, you wouldn't every issue of Amazing Fantasy is a different one-off story. You wouldn't consider every single one of them a pitch for an ongoing series. <laughs> but when it's really popular, then it suddenly is the way to do it. I'm not sure I would call this a backdoor pilot, and I am. Okay. Not certain this was for a TV series. I have a feeling this was intended to be a series of TV movies. Ah, like an extended, a, a, a mini extended universe. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, how? No. Okay, not no. extended like, universe. I, I, I use the the the, uh, the the every however many months, once a year, twice a year, whatever it would be. Nick Fury and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. would be back with another TV le- uh, movie-length TV Ah, thing. right, 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 right. So I don't think it was... I don't personally believe it was ever intended to be uh, a 30-minutes-a-week TV show. The budget would be insane on that kind of, that kind of Absolutely, level. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I do think it was, it was... The hopes were to launch this as a successful... You've just got to look at the director, quite frankly. The director did a string of TV movies... Um, and so I think that was perhaps the in, the intent. Let's say um, I got a bit about the director here, Rod Hardy, who has a long career directing TV movies and episodes of shows like The X Files, The Mentalist, and classic Australian soap opera Neighbours. Very importantly, Rod Hardy uh, directed the. Don't I- you tell me. 
What? Don't you tell me. What did he direct on Neighbours? The uh, apparently iconic the wedding episode. Iconic wedding episode of Neighbours where Kylie Minogue Ooh. married Jason Donovan and defined love for everyone in the 80s. You're kidding me. That is too wholesome, isn't it? Too wholesome. Oh, he directed... If you, man, that guy never has to buy a drink in a pub in this country ever again. No one in Australia will know who he is. But if he tells people in this country that he directed the wedding episode of Neighbours, he is golden. Is it that good <laughs> an episode? Why are you talking... Did you not grow up with neighbours? I, I, I remember, well, when I was at someone else's birthday party when I was about three or four, instead of singing happy birthday, I sang the neighbours theme. <laughs> My mum will always remember that. But apart from that, I have barely any knowledge of neighbours, Home and Away, and all the other Aussie soaps. Well, you can forget the others. Neighbours was the... I mean, it was... I don't know, man. It was... Oh, we don't want to spend too much time on this, but it was... Um, <laughs> it was like suddenly in, the, in the, the dreary England of the 1980s under Thatcher's rule, um, <laughs> barely escaping as we were the three-day week, um, we suddenly had this porthole window into beautiful, sunny Australia. Um, and if anything, it was the only the hope provided by neighbours that got this nation through the eighties. I stand by that. <laughs> I put that on my gravestone. And the wedding episode, <laughs> the the theme song for the wedding episode went to number one in the charts, mate. No. <laughs> yes, it was huge. It was absolutely huge. Um, it was it was a, a, just a huge, you know. And it was because of those things, you know. S- Scott and Charlene launched Kylie and Jason in this country, and they've had long successful careers. Jason Donovan is still making television programs and adverts in this country to this day because of a soap opera he was in thirty years ago. Anyway, anyway, so that man, so this director, uh, uh, what's his name? Rod Hardy. Rod Rod Hardy. He's a legend. I'm so. If you had Mm. pitched this to me, we're going to make a Nick Fury TV movie. I would say I'm not interested. Hear me out. We're going to get the bloke who directed Neighbours (laughs) and the guy who's in. Baywatch, and suddenly I am throwing $6 million at you. I want okay. this to happen now. You pitched it way better than any of this <laughs> ever read. I, I, immediately I could see how this happened. I went, ah, that does sound oh, good. That does sound and who's going to write it? Who on earth could we yeah. get to Ooh, write yeah. it, Will? And of course, uh, who wrote it? Other, no, I don't know how to pronounce the sentence. Who else wrote it? But David Goyer. David, or is it David S. Goyer? Is, is, yeah, he, he comes and goes with that. He comes, he, he comes and goes. He doesn't give a, 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 an, a, an S about the S. Uh, yeah. Your favourite writer in, in history, right? What, my favourite writer in history? Of course, he has to be, right? What, because he does Batman? He wrote all of your favourite movies, all three of them. He, he did, actually. He did, he did, he did the Dark Knight <laughs> yeah. trilogy. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I went, well, like, he hasn't written a book that I like. I am a high <laughs> art man. Yeah, so uh, uh, basically, uh, this, is, this is the fun story. According to, uh, to comic and Hollywood historian uh, Andy Mangles, in mid-May 1995, Fox Broadcasting announced that it had acquired a number of New World Entertainment, the uh, owners of Marvel, until now. We met them last time. Ah, can't can't tell me we didn't do a full a full and comprehensive dive onto New World Entertainment in the last episode. We did. Some we... people said it was excessive, and perhaps we didn't need to. What we've done here <laughs> is do that thing in comics where it says there's a little thing that says see I- issue so and so see episode. Yeah. Can you just uh, repeat the last sentence again? And I'm going to interrupt you, and I want it to get very quiet. Just up until the start. Just up until the end of the brackets. 
Okay. Broadcasting, sorry, Fox Broadcasting announced that it had acquired a number of New World Entertainment, the owners of Marvel until 1988. It's all connected. It's all connected. Every episode, it's all connected. Why are we talking about New World in in the Nick Fury episode? Because they put this into motion. Sorry, please carry on. Sorry, your face was the same as Charlie Day in the episode of It's Always Sunny, where he's got the... (laughs) The conspiracy board. The conspiracy board, classic. Can we talk about how it's all connected? Well, we we did talk about how it's all connected. I thought we were referring to the fact that we've already talked about how it's all connected in another... We have. We we have have talked about it. I was just paraphrasing Charlie to give a bit of it, but it's okay. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You you didn't do it, I can't do Charlie. I can't do Charlie voice. Uh, No, no. I, I also, you did Mickey Mouse. Yeah, what you did. <laughs> it's, it's the right ballpark. I've got to have a run up when I do Charlie Day. Anyway, so basically, they had a pro- they had a they acquired a number of projects for television, including Nick Fury as a pilot for 1996, as well as telefilm pilots for Generation X and Black Widow. Oh, I wonder you who still haven't had Black Widow. What do you mean in terms of movie? We haven't had that yet. I mean, it, hey. it's planned. It's planned here. <laughs> In in the mid nineties, and it still hasn't. You know, we still haven't had a solo project. We, we wait, this year is it coming out or next year? So, so this year, so they say. I, I don't want to go to the cinema just yet. I will go to the cinema. No, I will make an effort for Marvel films, like I have done. No, in no, the past. no, 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 no. Please stay with us. <laughs> don't make me do this on my own. Don't go to the cinema <laughs> unless you have the vaccine. Wait. Till you oh yes, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Caveats, people. Caveats. Anyway, so. At the same time, New World sold NBC a pilot telefilm for The Punisher and CBS a pilot for She-Hulk. These were all put in place by relatively new chairman, Brandon Tar- Tartikoff. 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 I thought it was a Tarkitoff. <coughs> Tarkitoff, mate. Uh, at, the, at that point in time, the writer was set to be David Goyer, who was already scripting films for Blade, Ghost Rider and Doctor Strange, as well as Flash Gordon for producer Peter Guber. Uh, David, sorry, further to this, uh, since Black Widow was also on tap, there was also a slight possibility of some kind of crossover, at least in the mention of the S.H.I.E.L.D. name or something, but all Mm. the Marvel (laughs) hero characters were booked for their own projects or movies, so there wasn't even the possibility of a tie-in Marvel TV universe otherwise. I suspect we would have seen things like Agent 13 or Scorpio or other S.H.I.E.L.D. elements pop up. What else went down with that David Goya? Now this is a bit. This is the bit I like because that he had a, he had a very interesting call with uh, Avi Arid. Basically, Marvel planned a Nick Fury uh, cinematic movie and had David Goya attached, as we know, to write it, uh, repeating his success with Blade. But Goya was then offered the job writing Batman Begins, so he had to call up Avi Arid. And resigned from the Fury movie. And if I recall from the notes I saw, Avi was essentially, do it, man. You have to do this. Which is, <laughs> which is such a nice thing. Yeah. I mean, disappointing someone. And, okay, to disappoint someone and to have that same person go, I fully support your decision. You need to do this. That is wholesome stuff to me. I love seeing that. I love it. I love that understanding. I'm amazed that after this TV movie, which was a failure in the ratings... Marvel was still pushing ahead with trying to get a movie made. I I think that's imp- it's bizarre. Well, you you seen what's happened with Zack Snyder in the Justice League film. 
I it, it, well, it's bad. It's got bad ratings, but he's still pushing ahead with a longer version. But it made a lot of money at the box office. Ah, uh, gotcha. Oh, That's the difference. There we go. That them's... box office means lots of people went to see it. Ratings means Not... people didn't. So it was beaten in the ratings by repeats of uh, an American kind of action crime series called Jag, which has <laughs> at various times been directed by our director Rod Hardy. <laughs> No. Now, I tried very hard to find out if the episode of Jag that beat Nick Fury in the ratings was an episode that Rod Hardy directed, but that information wasn't available. However, pure headcanon, that's what I'm going to say happened. I like to think that did happen because... He hey, knocked so, his own movie. It's so, so connected, he accidentally connected himself into a corner. That's how it, it connected against him. So... Also, uh, before we continue, just a last few notes, uh, mainly on the main aspect of this film, which is, of course, David Hasselhoff. And to this day, from interviews, David Hasselhoff still thinks he was the ultimate Nick Fury. Maybe by appearance. Totally by appearance, mate. Totally by appearance. I agree with you. He does look like him. Um, I'm going to say it's more... Read, read the quote. Read the quote. The quote is fantastic. So from an interview in 2012... Uh, David Hasselhoff said, I didn't see the Avengers yet. I love Sam Jackson, but you know, my Nick Fury was the organic Nick Fury that was written and discussed with Stan Lee before anyone got in there to change it. Nick Fury was written to be tongue-in-cheek, and he had a cigar in his mouth. He was a tough guy. He was cool. Stan Lee said, you're the ultimate Nick Fury. Don't worry, you're going to be the Nick Fury forever. And they lied. But that happens to me all the time. That's when you realise life isn't fair. And to this day... Uh, David Hasselhoff is still hoping to do him again sometime. To this day? <laughs> Apparently t- he's still hoping. I'm saying I say to this day because, I mean, if, if, if it's 2012 and you th- you're looking at the event, you know, Sam Jackson taking a role and thinking I could still do it, it's like, no, you are a bit past it. Well, first of all, this won't be our only time seeing David Hasselhoff on our Marvel journey. So we've Ooh. got that to look forward to. Ah, um, yes, yes, yes. I know what you mean. He isn't i mean i i, I wouldn't I, uh, first of all stanley is not in charge of any of these projects <laughs> so <laughs> it doesn't matter what's does not matter what's when stanley says you have to remember that stanley is like a very cheesy kind of you know uh, sort of wants to get along with everyone older yeah, man yeah, yeah oh you're the ultimate you're gonna be nick fury forever oh you're the that's what it, that's all that's happening he's not in charge of any of this He's uh, never been in charge of any of this. So all I can think of is going, of course you could be Nick Fury, now please leave me alone. <laughs> I I mean, his Nick Fury yeah. is very close to Stanley's Nick Fury. Okay, okay, okay. I'm, I'm not saying that's better than Samuel L. Jackson's, but I can, I can understand if you've read... I'll, I'll take one umbrance with him. He's not cool. <laughs> he is not cool. He's. he's I mean, I, I just mean Stan Lee's Nick Fury is not cool. We'll oh, sorry, we, sorry. We've, we, we've got we've got that to talk about. Nick Fury is cool, but that doesn't happen until Stan Lee leaves, and we will get to that. It's all still to come. You might be sat there with a modern perspective of the MCU movies. Wondering why there is a white Baywatch man playing Nick Fury. <laughs> For that, we need to go back to the 1960s. We need to go back really 
to 1963. Nick Fury is a World War II soldier who didn't appear in comics until 18 years after the war had ended. (laughs) Um, Which is how some war comics were. War comics were quite popular. 1963, Will, is really the second year of the Marvel age. We don't really have yet a full world of superheroes. We've got Thor doing the Lord of the Rings fantasy thing. We've got Hulk doing the sci-fi monster movie thing. I mean, Spider-Man and Iron Man have made a couple of appearances, but there's no X-Men, there's no Avengers. We don't have what we consider the Marvel Universe kind of rocking and rolling, really, yeah. So it's not the case that In 1963, Marvel would only be coming up with and creating superhero comics. There are, as we know, whenever we talked about the 1950s, we talk about, especially with Marvel comics or Timely comics, they were Atlas, sorry, at the time, in the 50s, we know there's an awful lot of sci-fi comics, monster comics, um, there's a lot of westerns and romance and stuff. Legendary artist Jack Kirby had, at this time, been kicking around an idea to create a war-themed comic book. Right. War comics, combat comics, whatever you want to call them, they were popular in the 40s and 50s and some into the 60s. And and whether they featured regular people, you know, heroic soldiers like Sergeant Rock, he's a very famous DC um, uh, soldier character, the Black Hawks, another DC team, but they're just, they're just soldiers and fighter pilots and stuff. Or whether they featured... Superheroes in in flashy costumes like Captain America in the forties, the Justice Society in the forties. After the huge success of, of of Captain America, the two creators Jack Kirby and Joe Simon were lured away to rival publisher DC Comics, where <laughs> they created a war themed comic book called The Boy Commandos. Um. <laughs> The Boy Commandos was another in a long line of um, Gang of Youth comics. There were a lot of them. They were really popular. It's about it's about a gang of orphans. <laughs> it's about a gang of orphans who are trained to become an elite commando unit to mount surprise attacks on Nazis. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you go, you carry gang on. Of carry orphans. on. Here's some guns. Yeah, that's yeah. that was Boy Commandos. Do you know what that sounds like to me? Like the most badass remake of Oliver Twist. <laughs> that's what that sounds. Oh, you're like. not far off. And, and here's the thing: it was insanely popular. Will insanely oh, popular. Nice. It, it was the third best-selling title at DC. It was only beaten in sales by Batman and Superman. <laughs> they had other superheroes at the time. But Boy Commandos was big, man. Because kids could go, that could be me, that could be me. I could be the one committing murder and atrocities. (laughs) Yeah, it's not an atrocity if they believe in white supremacy. It's just nature. Um, Kirby Kirby and Simon only really stopped working on Boy Commandos when they were drafted to go and fight actual real Nazis in real life. Um, A key feature of... Boy Commandos is that each character had a different nationality and background. Oh, that sounds familiar. They were like a boy band. <laughs> you had 
the British one, the American one, the bad boy your mum didn't approve of. There was a whole like gang of them, you know? And mm. in the 60s, Kirby wanted to bring this concept back of the different nationalities, the Captain Planet concept, as I call it, yep, yep, but with yep. adults in, instead of, you know, orphaned children. <laughs> um, <laughs> at the same time, Stanley was playing golf and drinking cocktails with the publisher of Marvel Comics. I mean, I've got no evidence to support that that was going on, but I just, when it's the 60s, I always picture Stanley playing golf and drinking cocktails. I, I'm oh. just, I can't... Or is it the Playboy Mansion? No, wait, that's the 70s. So Lee yeah. uh, Lee and Kirby are, are riding high on the success of Hulk and Iron Man and Fantastic Four and Spider-Man. And the publisher of Marvel, Martin Goodman, makes a bet with Stan. Stan basically talks himself into a bet. And it's basically like, I could do a war comic with the most ridiculous name you can think of. And me and Jack Kirby will still make it work and will make it popular because this this Lee and Kirby tandem thing, the way we write and draw and put it together, this is really magic. And so Martin Goodman said, go on then, <laughs> do it. <laughs> the most ridiculous name you could think of. And what was banded around and came up with was the hyper-macho, bombastic, weird-sounding... Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos. There we go. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I was waiting for the Howling Commandos to pop up. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, 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 it was a, a combat war-themed comic set during the height of World War II, and it features an elite special unit, the first attack squad, nicknamed the Howling Commandos, which Stanley um, seemed to get from a, an actual... Uh, military unit that were called the Screaming Eagles. He kind of took that name. Um, borrowing from Kirby's old <laughs> comic, Boy Commandos, this squad was made up of a diverse cast of characters. A British soldier modelled after David Niven. An Italian-American soldier modelled after Dean Martin. <laughs> uh, there was a German soldier yep, who yep, defected yep. from the Nazis and came to the Allies' side. Um, they had a Jewish-American soldier who was the first ever Jewish-American hero in comic book history. Um, and, and this team was led by the gruff, macho, cigar-chomping, two-eyeball-possessing Sergeant Fury, um, mm. who marshaled the Howling Commandos on, on numerous battles against the, the Nazis. It was a straight-up combat book, like a dozen others being published by Marvel's different competitors at the time. Whilst there was initially nothing to suggest that these stories took place in the same realm as the Marvel Universe, because the Marvel Universe is the modern 60s, mm. and Howling Commandos is set in the 40s. All of that changed in September of 1963, when in Howling Commandos, Sergeant Fury meets a young Reed Richards. Aha! Who, during World War II, it's revealed, 1940s Reed, had worked for the OSS as some sort of early intelligence operative. Mm. And then, the following year, an issue depicts the Howling Commandos fighting alongside Captain America and Bucky, making Nick Fury 
an official part of of the big shared Marvel universe. Hmm. Um, and as the superheroes became more and more popular, Stanley, Jack Kirby, they they leave Howling Commandos to focus on what is making the money for Marvel, what is really needed for Marvel, which is the superhero comics. Um, and that might have been it for Sergeant Fury. He he could easily have carried on barking orders and firing machine guns in the 40s and then faded away and been forgotten about. You know, how many opportunities are there to do something with that kind of war character? But then, hmm. 1964, the James Bond movie Goldfinger becomes a monster hit. <laughs> Makes over $120 million at the box office, whilst NBC has a hit TV series on their hands with The Man from Uncle. Britain Very and America in, 64, in the mid-60s are both in the grip of the spy craze. Let's promise Will to always remember, and everyone at home, one thing about Stanley in this era. For all the debate about what he did or didn't author, what he was or wasn't responsible for creating, let's promise to always remember he was incredible at reacting to and capitalising on pop culture. <laughs> what was in the zeitgeist, what was what was happening, Stanley would jump onto. So Stan sees Goldfinger... And the man from Uncle, and he knows what comic he's making next. Um, he he decides to create a, a Cold War <laughs> spy comic book set in the ever-growing Marvel universe, and, and pack it with science fiction gadgets that James Bond could only dream of. And the hero of this new concept would be Old War Horse Sergeant Fury, redesigned. For this new series, Fury the Soldier became Nick Fury the Super Spy. He now sported an eye patch. Um, whilst Napoleon Solo was the man from Uncle, Nick Fury was the agent of Shield, another large acronym um, that have that stood for many <laughs> different things. A, a, an espionage outfit based entirely on the idea of, of Uncle. Um, mm. And this is what saved the character and gave him a whole new lease on life, a whole new direction and place in the Marvel Universe. Bond battled Spectre. The men from Uncle battled the forces of Thrush. Nick Fury would seek to save the world from Hydra. Whilst initially written and drawn by the Lee Kirby team. In 66, writer-artist Jim Steranko began work on Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and would transform Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. into one of the most famous and influential comic books in American history. Steranko, this is a quote that I'm pulling from an art historian whose name I haven't written down. Cool, well done, Rob. Um, or... Am I not? Is this... Okay, this is the quote. Steranko was an innovative new talent that emerged at Marvel during the late 1960s and he helped revolutionise the, the look of the comic book page with his pop artwork. Um, so that was the thing. Op arts, psychedelia and pop arts were these huge art movements that were taking mm. the Western world by storm. And 
Steranko was infusing them into Marvel Comics. Um, famed writer Larry Hammer, who was behind an awful lot of G.I. Joe and Transformers, a lot of Hasbro stuff, um, he said of Steranko, said that Steranko combined a figurative dynamism of Jack Kirby with modern design concepts. The graphic influences of Peter Max, Op Art, and Andy Warhol were embedded in the design of the pages. And the pages were designed as a whole, not just as a series of panels to tell a story. All this executed in a crisp, hard-edged style, seething with drama and anatomological tension. Um... Sterenko's artwork is light, was and maybe still is light years ahead of anything else in major commercial comics. He, he was pouring the rich beating heart of the 60s art world into this comic book about spies and he was making it mad. When he took over as, as, as writer as well as artist, Sterenko's plot lines involved adults' intrigue, um, a lot of sexuality... That, that was alluded to, but a bit too much alluded to for the for the people in charge. Hip science fiction, um, you know, the, the the Avengers of the time were doing the Avengers, the TV series, the Avengers were doing this kind of hip psychedelic spy show, which he mm. was very you know on board with. He created his own version of the Bond Girl. Suddenly, Shield was full of. There's no other word for them. Babes in skin-tight leather, <laughs> taken directly from Goldfinger. You know mm. that that flying group that um, that that uh, Pussy Galore is in charge of. Yeah. Um, Agents of Shield was constantly being censored by the Comic Code Authority for its approach to violent, the threat of death, and largely for sexuality. Um, Jim Steranko completely changed Nick Fury. When Stan and Jack took him from Howling Commandos and put him in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they put an eye patch on him and they gave him some different guns to play with, different toys to play with. But they, it was still mm. a gruff brawler who was barking orders. Steranko, man, changed that completely. Nick Fury became this confident in charge urban super spy that would rival James Bond. I mean this was we talked a lot about the these 60s Marvel characters, these lead characters. This was the first lead Marvel character who wasn't a downtrodden underdog outcast. Strenko's Nick Fury was the coolest guy in the room, in any room. <laughs> he was in charge of every situation. He had the coolest job, he had a flying car, he had the coolest gadgets, and he was surrounded by beautiful women that wanted to sleep with him. He, Sterenko booked the Marvel... I mean, a lot of that is based on the fact that Sterenko led that life. Mm. Jim Sterenko was Don Draper in the 60s. <laughs> He worked for, he had a successful advertising career at like a madman style ad agency. Oh, nice. He was forever. Sterenko is like fast cars, cocktails, and beautiful women, and the hip swinging 60s party scene. And he pours that into the comics because that's the life he's living. <laughs> um, he was once, um, they were told to. 
they were told they had to completely change the way that a uh, the female characters were drawn because um they were uh unrealistic and i'm not I, I I think that went's gone too far in comic books, and we do need realistic depictions and all of that. But this is a, this is a cool damn story. <laughs> like Storenko is told by the Comic Code Authority, you can't keep drawing these women unrealistically attractive. And Storenko, I'm assuming, lights a cigarette, stares him dead in the eyes, and he says, "I guess the last three women I dated were also too unrealistic to exist." <laughs> like leaves the room. Um, he's 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 a, a fascinating guy. He used to be he's an He's an escapologist. What's an escapologist? He was growing up. He he grew up dirt poor, and he uh, an escape artist, but a ma- ah, really yes, escape yes. artist. Yeah, yeah. He 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 joined a circus, and he he was he could fence and he could fire an arrow. You know, he he mastered everything there was to do. He was a a, a fire breather. Um, Jack Kirby was so impressed and enamored by Jim Steranko as a human being that he created. When he went to DC Comics, he created a superhero based on him. Not just a superhero, <laughs> a god. Mr. Miracle, the, the, the undying spirit of freedom, um, who will never be shackled by conformity. This is largely based on the fact that I think Jim Steranko told Stanley where to go and walked out. Um, but And Jack Kirby would have loved that, because he had lots of problems with, with, with yep. Stanley. But yeah... Sterenko didn't need to follow the rules when he was doing Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. because he had a very successful career. He was Don Draper. He did not need this. So he didn't (laughs) particularly care if Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. sold a lot of copies. He was focused on creating a modernist 60s art fantasy that he wanted to make. One of the most famous Sterenko issues of, of this time is an entirely wordless comic a silent masterpiece as nick fury sneaks into our hydra location and assassinates people and when he turned the pages in of this work that he'd done marvel comics initially refused to pay him the full fee because he quote unquote hadn't written anything because there were no words on the page Sterenko then (laughs) said to the guy who was paying him what floor is this, Gene? And Gene said, it's the ninth floor. Well then, I guess I'm going to throw you out of the ninth floor window. Oh. <laughs> uh, and he got paid in the end. Um, Sterenko wow. is just a, ma- a mad character uh, that is alive and a real person. Um, th- so Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. won awards and it left an indelible mark on the comic book world. And whilst it came to an end in 1968 and hadn't been running for that long... Lee Kirby, Steranko, and the others involved had established Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. as a key figure, key mm. players in the larger world of the Marvel Universe. They became one of the cornerstones of, of these comic books. We now knew the Marvel Universe, it's got aliens, and it's got mutants, and it's got gods, and it's got this incredible super spy network ran by Nick Fury. <laughs> We love hearing from you. It is genuinely something that keeps us going. We've had like some really nice things come through in the last couple of weeks, haven't we, mate? And yep. and that genuinely makes our day. If you are not able to support us with cash, cash, cheddar, cheddar, <laughs> then first of all, you know you still owe us. You you can't get away with it that easy. You still owe us something. 
And that something really should be a, a tweet, a message, a note, an email, because those can really spur us on. It, 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 showing, showing that we know you're out there because we've got the download numbers, but hearing from you, hearing what you have enjoyed, and hearing little stories about what we, what, what you know, what how you've been listening to us, what we've been helping you get through in this muddy, horrible couple of years. That's what keeps us going and pushes us on to keep creating new things for you. So don't think you've got away with it by not having the cash. You've got to still um, pay homage. You've got to still get in touch. You can do that. You can find us on Twitter where we are at Marvel Versus. Drop us a tweet there. Give us a follow. You 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 mean you owe us at least a follow. Or indeed you can send us a, a full message by uh, dropping an email to Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. Will, what have you got for us in the mailbag this week? I've got a couple of mailbag letters here. We've got Juicy, who got in touch to say, I have been binging on your podcasts for the last month. Loved your company. Oh, yeah. That's a, a fa- binge. I love a binge. A binge is good. It keeps, keep, keeps the sadness at bay. Loved your company <laughs> while running and just before sleeping. I think my favorite episode will have to be. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. But my favourite piece of trivia is the Punisher fighting the Mafia using an entire zoo. <laughs> I forgot about that, yes. I, yes. What, what was it again? He punched a polar bear. He in punches the... a polar bear to anger the polar bear, and when the polar bear goes on a rampage, he like ducks out the way and the polar bear just starts massacring people. I think he also Amazing. uses electric eels to electrocute someone as well. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's creative my experience with marvel is connected to the ultimate series so all the trivia is gold that's I am, interesting hmm. i am tempted to do the right thing soon i need to listen to all the bonus episodes wow. i need to listen she put need in all caps ladies and gents um, yes, you do. You, I mean, you shouldn't just be tempted to do the right thing. You, you should. Uh, well, we thank you very much for the for the letter, uh, yes. Juicy. You shouldn't just feel tempted to do the right thing. You should recognise it as your moral obligation to this show. Um, that's 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 what we want to uh, <laughs> make sure is <laughs> is in people's brains. And um, that's very interesting to come from. As I remember, the Ultimate series being launched, we talked about it a couple of times in previous episodes. This sort of um, reboot of the marvel universe which was designed to get new readers to come and read about spider-man and the x-men and stuff so it's really cool to find someone whose connection to the marvel universe is actually through that ultimate series and um, we'd love to hear more about that juicy if uh, you have any more to tell us love to hear your thoughts and recollections of the ultimate comics the ultimate series or or do you mean the animated uh, the couple of animated movies they made, which were, I think, still called Ultimate Avengers and stuff. Yeah, I think they're touches. Let us know. Um, and we will definitely at some point be doing a bonus episode on the Ultimate Universe somehow. We can, I haven't figured it out yet. We can do that. I'm sure we can do that. Anyway, on to the next letter. We got one from Peter J, our first ever subscriber on whoop, Patreon. Whoop, whoop. whoop shared his thoughts on Nick Fury. 
The 90s Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. movie is not perfect, but I do think it has a load of positive points. You can sit down and watch an MCU movie and pretty much it's going to be great. Watch them on your own or with friends and you'll be chatting about them for days. On the outside, there is no reason to watch any of these oddball, out-of-date movies at all. I agree, I agree. They cannot live up to any MCU movie, not really. But, but... Sit down with a bunch of your friends and watch David Hasselhoff be Nick Fury for an hour and a half and have some fun. (laughs) Laugh, cry, groan, wince even at some of the dialogue. But I guarantee you will come away having had a wonderful shared experience. Hasselhoff delivers some great one-liners as Nick Fury. Okay, they can be a bit cheesy, but they are fun nonetheless. It's got everything in it too. The Harry Carrier, an LMD... Gadgets, an eye patch gag, a removable eye, enormous over the top villains, Hydra, a fairly plausible plot, loads of characters from the comics. Although many of them bear no resemblance to their comic book counterparts. Timothy Dugan, anyone? I like comics because they let my imagination fill in some of the blanks because I get to theorise about plots and characters because the art and the script takes me on a journey that I feel part of. This movie feels like that to me. There are little gaps and holes for our imagination to creep into. Uh, spoilers, spoilers, he says. I love playing the game, spot the LMD. Try and spot the moment that Nick Fury is swapped out for an LMD. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't spot that. I did not spot that. But, I, I you know, I, I, I knew that was going to happen at some point because it's... What's it? Chekhov's gun, isn't it? It's Chekhov's gun. We'll discuss it when we get to it. Okay, we will. Try because to- you use another term, don't you? That Your favourite term. never going to escape from me Uh, try to order your favourite Nick quotes the whole movie is full of things like this Andrea Von Strucker I I will see you in hell for this Nick Fury we'll do lunch honestly the griping and groaning that you've been doing about this movie since you've seen it (laughs) how how can you groan about this movie it's fantastic it's cheap Come on, we have the MCU for all the great and serious stuff and for creating an all-encompassing universe for great casting, for great effects, for highs and lows. I think there should be a place for some of this weird and wild older stuff too, just to have fun with. I mean, just the first 10 minutes of this are chuck full of true greatness. You get the, who are the bad guys set up? You get their names, the name of their organisation. You get that they're fighting shield. Bam, four minutes in, these bad guys are all set up. Then you get Nick Fury's entrance. Agents are set to reinstate him on presidential order. And how are we introduced to the main character? He is in an old mine, chomping on a cigar, lightly tapping at an old bit of wall with a pickaxe. The door to the mine... <laughs> The door to the mine is blowing open and closed. He turns to look at the door. Something's not right. He takes his shirt off a hook and walks further into the mine where there is another way out and an agent waiting for him. That's it. No explanation of what he's doing there. Nothing. That apparently is his retirement. How could you not love anything that starts like that? But what do I know? I have a soft spot for the movie Electra. Yeah, you read that right, but that's for another time. Some of the accents are over the top. Some of the effects are not great by modern standards, but grab some mates and a beer or a cup of tea and have a whale of a time. <laughs> Thank you, Peter J, for weighing in on Nick Fury. Um, and it's good. I mean, we couldn't find anyone else that had seen this movie. Um, so we couldn't, like, we couldn't draw a lot of different opinions in. But it is great to, see from, to hear from someone who's not just seen it, but has actually a positive connection to the film and sees it for what it is um unlike 50 percent of your hosts who (laughs) 
feel, I, honestly, I, I kept expecting Will to ask me to pay him to do this episode. We're going <laughs> to... We're going to see how this one plays out. Um, So that is a very good way of getting in touch with us. You know you owe us. You can drop us a line, marvel versus marvel at gmail.com. But the best way to get in touch and the best way to show your love and to just admit, just admit what it is, admit how it's going, admit that consuming this entertainment for free feels wrong because it is wrong it will is it theft it's the worst kind of theft it's, it's podcast the worst kind of theft yeah podcast theft. You're, you're stealing you're stealing thoughts from our brains and work labor from our arms fingers one of them and it's, mouths and and voices you know what it is rob it's banter larceny that's what it is banter larceny <laughs> You're just you're stealing voices. Yeah, and we can't you're stealing speak. an audio experience right now. Lots of podcasts out there. You're doing them a favor when you listen to their twenty minute rambling, or you listen to their hour chat between a couple of mates. You're doing them a favor by listening to what they've got to say about what's going on in the world today. You're doing them a favor when you listen to a podcast that essentially just recaps what's happening on a Marvel website, announcements of the next whatever. You're doing them a favor. This, I'm an animated episode. The 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 deeper dive into Wonder and Vision, the the, the Ant Man, all the history we're putting up. You know in your heart that it's wrong. That you need to do the right thing, and you can do the right thing by supporting us on Patreon.com/slash Marvel versus Marvel. It's where you can you can make that donation. You can support the show. Help keep the lights on around here. This show isn't free. Um, you can also get in touch. You can also drop us a message. Cody has been with us since we launched our Patreon. Oh, and we've got an announcement to make. Oh yes! Right at the end of this, right at the end of this letter, an announcement to make: new content coming your way. Cody has been with us since we launched our Patreon. He's a VIEP. He's a very important executive producer. That means he's in the top tier. He's in the ten pound band. He gets access to full length bonus episodes every month. Cody got in touch to say, "Hey guys, I feel like y'all. Uh, I'm. Uh, I, I, I want to say y'all in an accent, but I don't want to take the mix, so I'm just going to do it with my classic British. Hey guys, feel like you all are giving all kinds of good new content <laughs> recently, and I'm loving it. The fireside chat was awesome. Hey, if you're not with us on Patreon, you will have missed that. Me and Will sat down around the fireside and had an unformatted, unscripted chat about the end of One Division, the whole series, everything, our thoughts and our feelings, how it connected to us, what we enjoyed. Um and we just pushed that out the other week, didn't we? Uh, last last week, just yep. on a whim. Uh put that out for all the subscribers to enjoy. And Cody was one of the many that loved it. Excited for those to continue. If you do, hmm, we will see. Mm. Uh, I loved One Division, and I'm interested how her character will develop given some of the horrible things that happened. I'm realizing in my head I have to uh, edit this for spoilers, and I forgot to do that beforehand. I also really enjoy how they introduced Monica as a potential future character. That's yes. spoiler free. 
Um, y'all have gotten me back into reading comics. Currently reading Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men series and Hickman's New Avengers Avengers run. Ooh, be careful with that last one, Cody. Because <laughs> he drove me off the comic. Um, <laughs> after I finish one of those, I'm going to pick up the Annihilation Wars series y'all talked about way back in the Guardians episode and probably the Vision run by Tom King. Y'all keep putting out that good content and if and this is the key bit, if anyone isn't subscribed, they need to because it's all great. Thank you, Cody. We 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 love you. We appreciate you so much for being one of those big time, uh, big time supporters of this podcast, big time donors of this podcast. Um, and we have decided to introduce a brand new regular bit of bonus content. Put that out there on Patreon for all our subscribers to enjoy. It's a new monthly series that is based around people's one of people's favourite features of this podcast. We hear it all the time that what they love is when I educate Will about <laughs> an obscure Marvel hero or villain like Stiltman, Lady Stiltman. Like, we had so many in the last episode. We had Blizzard, the spinning top, Whirlwind... <laughs> Modoc, and so we decide that what we're gonna do. There's so many wonderful, glorious, obscure Marvel characters for Will to <laughs> be <laughs> faced with on a regular basis. That we're gonna create a, a series of monthly mini episodes where we are going to be diving into the to a, a really obscure Marvel character one a month. Um, we're going to put that together, and that is going to be available to every single subscriber, every patron, from the, the, the smallest level, which is just a £3 tier, right the way through to our wonderful VIEPs. They're going to be... We're going to have so much fun. We've already started planning it. Um, we've, we've, already, <laughs> we've already got <laughs> what, I, what I know is going to uh, twist Will's melon. And, uh, twist him be, a melon, man. Fantastic little little dives and little trips into mm. obscure Marvel. So if you want to get that, if you want to get access to some of the shorter mini bonus episodes that are already available up there, little dives into the X-Men and the, the Clone Saga with Spider-Man and little things like that, you get a little bonus, a bunch of four or five bonus episodes for signing up. And beyond that now, we're going to be putting out a monthly obscure marvel episode uh, available to everybody all you got to do is head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel support us support yourselves clean your conscience get some great extra bonus content as a reward and do the right thing what lays before us today is the last Marvel project before Blade changed how Hollywood and the rest of the world viewed Marvel. Changed forever. As soon as Blade hit the cinemas, started making money, the game changed. And from there, X-Men, Spider-Man, Iron Man, the MCU, where we are now. This is the last of those <clears throat> of those pre-Blade movies. And really interestingly, it has the same writer as the Blade movie, David S. Goya. Um, what, what, a, 
what a fantastic series of coincidences and events. Uh, a, a movie we just had to take a look at, or a TV movie we just had to take a look at. And what a perfect way to kick off our weird, wild, and wacky episodes. Will, you know what to do. Take it away. Okay, let's press play. Let's press play on this. <laughs> I am. I am not. Yeah, I had a lead up. You had a lead up. One of your one of your big catchphrases on the show. <laughs> and I ruined let's, it for let's, everyone. Let's press pray. <laughs> anyway, let's get on with it. That's my new catchphrase. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. Agents of the terrorist organization Hydra invade a shield facility, fatally injuring Clay Quartermain and reviving a cryogenically preserved Baron Wolfgang von Strucker, one of the last known boogeymen of the world. On his way out, the agent releases a deadly gas into the base, killing most of the guards and allowing Hydra Squad to storm the base. Using the last ounce of strength, Clay tries to hold the invading force back but collapses, uttering his last words, Nick, take care of her. One of the soldiers takes off her masks and sorry, takes off her mask and taunts the dying soldier. So the music uh, in this felt like an episode of the X Files in places. It had that same it did, didn't it? Yeah. yeah, same kind of music as the X Files. And our director has directed X Files. Yeah. So there you go. Rod, same, similar good old Rod Hardy. Yeah. Yep. You can t- and you can tell it's the nineties. This is something I noticed because of the Arctic blue camo. You always know it's a secret thing in the nineties, secret base with the Arctic blue camo. That Arctic blue camo reminds me of the Street Fighter movie. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> what, what was it? What was that? Is that Jean Claude Van Damme's character? He plays Guile. Guile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that movie yet. Is it any good? Well, I adored it. Would you now, in two thousand and twenty-one, like watching it? Probably not, mate. It was made a long yeah. time ago. I you don't like films from a long time ago. Oh, shush. They're I had, different. They're I, not the same. I had the actor who played uh, M. Bison in it, who I forgot his name, is it Raul Julia? Yeah. Apparently he gave one hell of a performance and I have to watch it. He's dying at the time as well. Yeah, no, that's that's what made it so good. So now I feel I have to watch it just for that performance. Uh, yeah, at, speaking of cringy lines, they said, let us rock and let us roll. Oh, what a terrible line. <laughs> what a terrible line. Why? I am dissecting this film script and taking uh, uh, who, David S. Goyer, whatever the S who, stands for. Who they, uh, are we meant to think these people are cool? Uh, they've got Arctic Blue Camo on. You can't get cooler than that. <laughs> okay. Okay, I, I just it just really stuck out for me. So, speaking of Arctic Blue Camo being coolest, let's speak about the coolest guy here. Clay Quartermain uh, is he is he a generic background character or is he genuinely someone from the comics? There are a lot of recurring Shield characters, and Clay Quartermain is one of the most famous and prominent and enduring as well. Yeah, um, Clay was created in the sixties by Jim Steranko when he had his uh, seminal run on Agent of Shield, and and Steranko modelled. Quartermain's look on Burt Lancaster. <laughs> um, 
I don't know why that made you laugh, but okay. But it's such an uh, obscure thing. It's like, oh, I'm playing a bit part, and now I have... Oh, sorry, Did you mean you actually uh, modelled... I'm talking about the Marvel character, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. I thought you meant the bit part. I was like, no. really? That much no. effort? I'm I'm in the middle of answering your question. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and good. you've just... I don't know where you've gone. Storenko modelled Clay Quartermain's look on, on Burt Lancaster. And Clay as a character is meant to be the, the typical kind of American hero. Tough guy, but mm. with a gentle heart and a sweet side. And he's really introduced by Storenko to show just how much Nick Fury is not like the typical American hero. There we go. Quartermain was introduced as the counterpoint to highlight that Fury is now in the new in this now revisited series. Nick Fury is a sophisticated, world weary type who doesn't believe in things like the innate goodness of humanity and the world, um, whereas Clay Quartermain is all of that stuff, you know, the more classic kind of heroic tropes. Um, Quartermain would go on to become a supporting cast member in the Incredible Hulk series, where he joined the US military Hulkbuster squad to chase down the Hulk and um, stop him from terrorising people. And then he had a huge change of heart, uh, became an outcast, and, you know, was um, uh, court-martialed, I believe, kicked out of the military, and then becomes a travelling companion of the Hulk, trying to preserve as much life as possible. And in modern stories, he was kind of introduced as a love interest of Jessica Jones. Ooh. Her off the telly. Also, I want to interject. I just had a look at Burt Lancaster on my phone, but my autocorrect uh, made it Butt Lancaster. <laughs> and I don't know why. I I, I I didn't expect that reaction from you. I expected a groan, but it's oh like but it's like Butt Lancaster. It's maybe tickled me a lot more than it should have. Starring in tonight's matinee performance. But Lancaster. That sounds like okay. his porno star name. Okay. Come on. Go Give on. the people Back what they to... want. People don't want But Lancaster. <laughs> it hashtag <laughs> But the people don't want But Lancaster. But Lancaster. <laughs> anyway, carry on, please. Carry on before I collapse. You carry on. Oh I'm right. Done. You're done. You're done. You're, You're done. the I... one talking about But Lancaster. I'm done. <laughs> I put Clay Quartermain to bed. Good. Clay Quartermain is is in bed with Butt Lancaster. Uh, (laughs) Back to the story. Uh, Nick Fury, retired and living in an abandoned mineshaft in the Yukon, is approached by S.H.I.E.L.D. agents Alexander Goodwin Pierce and Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine to return to duty to take down Hydra, now led by the children of Strucker, an old enemy of his. Fury refuses to return until he learns of Quartermain's death. He then accompanies Pierce and Defontaine to a shield helicarrier where he reunites with his old friends Dum Dum Dugan and Gabriel Jones. Sorry, Gabriel Jones, not Gabriel. Can we can we have a, another take on a helicarrier? Because it's the second time you've struggled with it. I, I, I'm struggling with my L's today. <laughs> Heli <laughs> helicarrier. If there's if there's any L's and R's t- in, can, a, in a, can you do it like that every time? Heli carrier, what like Alan Partridge? Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Good. So, okay. Anyway, uh, he's introduced to telepath Kate Neville. Clashes with new Shield director General Jack Pincer, and is shown advanced technologies that Shield is developing, including a life model decoy of Fury. So, 
when they find him in the abandoned mine, which is quite funny because there's no explanation to what he's doing there. He's just no. He's he's at the mine. Why is he working in a mine? What, what are you what are you what are you mining for? Arbitrarium. <laughs> I'm arbitrarily here for arbitrarium. What they've done is they've said what's a really macho thing to do that doesn't involve any technology because he's a throwback. Mining? Someone said mining in the meeting and they went, yeah, good, put him in a mine. I I reckon someone said whittling first and they went, no, it's not manly. That's not not macho, no, you've got to swing a big axe. Using a knife and a bit of wood to make something nice? That's manly. Uh, It does feel a bit like they're just basically doing what what they did with Rambo and have it working in the middle of nowhere, doing yeah, doing yeah. that whole shtick. It is it is Rambo bringing someone out of retirement, military yeah, wise, yeah. to one last mission. Yeah, yeah, it feels like a budget version of Snake Plissken. I am going to go with that, even though probably the film this film probably cost the same amount to make as Escape from <laughs> New York did. I mean, I know he's got an eye patch and everything, but and stubble. But is it is it just that? It's the gruffness. It's the it's the it's the lonerism. It's the military training. There's so much of Snake Plissken there. Apart from he's not mm. so much of an outlaw. Snake Plissken is the ultimate American outlaw. I think what's happening is that these are are, are variations of classic trope characters. Yes. I don't think that they went. Let's do Snake Plissken. I can very much, however, see David Hasselhoff only knowing. Like seeing, oh, he's got an eye patch, and then like doing research on who wears an eye patch, and seeing Snake Plissken, and maybe, but I can't see people when they're writing it going, yeah, let's but, instead of a spy and a soldier, let's write about a, a, a convict. <laughs> I was thinking maybe maybe it's it's more like Rooster Cogburn in that case. What was it? Was that John Wayne's yeah. character in True Grip? Yeah, I can very much see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that probably be the more the, the root of it. Uh, also, I I I know you had a conversation with me, and you asked Will how much of your notes are you bitching about the budget? Because here's where we differ. I'm, I don't know what you're about to say, but when I saw the heli carrier in this, which you haven't seen in a while, I went. Oh man, that's so much better than I thought it was going to be. That looks decent. That looks fine. Cool. I, I with that. I, I I thought it would have been better. And you had an aneurysm. I did. You collapsed. An... You had a fit. People had to call the ambulance, put a bit of wood under your tongue, and you were like, "Oh no, it doesn't have 2021 standards of budgets and CGI." Little it's... lightning came out your fingers. It, this 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 is this is the thing. This is the weird thing is when it looks like it, okay for films and TV to look like a video game nowadays just means it looks you know fairly fairly well done, but you know not not the same say uh, practical effects. But to say back in the nineties that your action scenes look like a video game is very different, and this looked like a video game. This looked like a no, PlayStation it, honestly, One video game. Every single person listening, do not listen to Will right now. He is he is absolutely wrong. This it a, looks a, it looks so much better than that. This is a cutscene from PlayStation One game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying on this hill. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, it although although okay, Kate, okay, Kate. Okay. More neutral comments. The heli carrier did look like an unused oil rig from a cutscene from Star Wars. It did have that same same appeal. It had that rusty quality. <clears throat> Had that, it had sh- a very rusty quality, didn't it? The shape of it 
yeah. was abnormal to me. It was more vertical than you expected, wasn't it? It's got no runway. Yeah. It's got little legs on it. Yeah. Well, but but I still thought it was good. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that, you know, could have aged better if they took out some of those bits. <laughs> so... Before before you frown at your before you frown so hard that your whole face collapses into your head like some kind of concertina. Get uh, on with it. Get on with it. God, there's so much hatred right now. Okay, so Rob, this, this is, is gonna be the most this is gonna be the most conflict laden episode. The minefield. I never I never realised that the discussing- Why did they cast David Hasselhoff and not someone from twenty twenty one? That's what's confusing me. Why doesn't he kill yeah. the bad guys instead of letting them go? I would have yeah, killed the lot of them. Pilchard. Pilchard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Calm blue ocean, calm blue ocean. We're gonna get through this. Hold hands, people, hold hands. Get get your buddy, get your safety buddy and hold hands. Uh if this is the world's first look, this is nineteen ninety eight, this is the world's first look at Shield and the Heli Carrier. I think we should have a little chat about them. What can you tell us about them, Rob? Well, the man uh, from Uncle uh featured and made famous like like kind of acronyms. I mean, I know yeah. there's the CIA and the FBI, but they're not they're not acronyms. They're not overly um, large acronyms. The CIA and FBI. No, no, no. They're not. They're not acronyms. Fabi is not a word. Ah, Kaya sorry, is not sorry. a word. What, what, what acronym has to spell a word? What what, the what is FBI then? Is that a bre- it's not an abbreviation? Is it? Yeah. yeah oh, that is the abbreviation. abbreviation. I thought it was the other way yeah. round. I lived, no, no, never mind. Okay. No. So, man from Uncle kind of made acronym. Um, intelligence, you know, or whatever organizations really, really, really famous and popular. And theirs, Uncle, was United Network Command for Law and Enforcement. Uncle. So Stanley created Shield, um, Supreme Headquarters International Espionage and Law Enforcement Division. Shield. I mean, that, um, that's quite generalised, isn't it? It's like, well, we want to cover supreme intelligence and defence, uh, and maybe law enforcement as well. We might need to put people in line for stealing bread. <laughs> what? And let's not forget it's a headquarters. Headqu- I mean, oh, sorry, yeah. But not just a headquarters, the supreme headquarters. It's like, you, you might might as well put like a, ba- a bee in there and have a bakery, just so people don't starve. <laughs> but then it wouldn't spell a word. Shieldber. The shield. Not a word. Shieldber is not a world. Hashtag Shieldber's not a word. It was first introduced <laughs> in 1965 with, with the new rebooted Nick Fury, and it's introduced as being something that already existed in the world. Right. This wasn't a new organization that Nick Fury built, it had been around for a while. Sometime between the end of World War II and, and, and 19. 19- 65. It's a secret organisation. So, in the first issue of, of um, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., the first story, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. was like was a, a story that ran in Tales of Suspense. Tales of Suspense in 1965, half the issue was Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., half the issue was Doctor Strange. Um, you don't need to know that, but the autistic goblins in my head need me to tell you. Um, <laughs> so uh, Nick Fury, who has uh, been working for the CIA briefly, he reports to the Pentagon where he is like very quickly essentially cloned um, and another version of him is walking around and then he's led out into a street where there's lots of different versions of Nick Fury walking around. Um, 
And it's explained to him that this is to confuse hidden assassins that want him dead. And that's the start of Fury then being told about S.H.I.E.L.D. Secret spy organisation. So secret not even the CIA know about them. Um, The director of S.H.I.E.L.D. has just been assassinated by HYDRA. And so they need another one really quick. And the president has personally selected Nick Fury as the only man with the right experience to lead S.H.I.E.L.D. in in this ongoing war against Mm. Hydra. The first few issues, there are tons of sci-fi gadgets. Jack Kirby, we, we talked about some of this, the, the periscope hat that lets you see behind you, um, and the flying car, and, and of course the helicarrier. Kirby's brilliant at creating these pages where the reader gets to see like an x-ray of the gadget, and, and it's like a little diagram <laughs> yes. explaining what all the different bits do. Yes, I love so that. Cool. I love that stuff. Absolutely. We we see Nick's uh, got a flying car, and we see the helicarrier. Stanley credits entirely the the the, 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 the helicarrier is entirely apparently a Jack Kirby invention. So Stanley says, and then Fury meets the head of Shield's special weaponry section, the man who has built all of these amazing gadgets, Mister Tony Stark. So Ooh. that's that's how we get. That's how we get introduced to Shield and and the Helicarrier. Very nice. I love the way Tony Stark and Howard. No, wait a minute. Who was it? What's, his, what's, his, what's Tony Stark's dad called again? You got it right, Howard Stark. Yeah, How, Howard Stark. And I, and I was like, no, isn't he that that guy who's kind of like Tony Stark but went all mad? And that's Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. <laughs> oh God! I got, I got You're confusing the real world with the Marvel universe again. I don't recommend it, folks, but it will happen. I know, I know. There are some parallels, and it's quite interesting, but we'll move away from that. Okay, and obviously on board the helicarrier, we, we do meet some of uh, Fury's old friends who we've discussed. So we get Dum Dum Dugan and G- uh, Gabriel Jones. Uh, and, and they are obviously from the Nick Fury comics, aren't they? These are the char- these are the Howling Commandos we've discussed before. Absolutely. I think it's Duggan, not Dugan. Um, but I, yeah. Oh, there's two Gs there. Uh, there we go. <laughs> L's, R's, G's. My three weaknesses. There's so many of the letters. <laughs> That's most of them, Will. They're so most common. You haven't got many left. If you if you X give a... and X is not used very often, so you've got to take that one out. So is Z. That's gone. If you have a problem with E, you have failed language. Oh, God. <laughs> um, yes, Dum Dum Duggan and, and Gabriel Jones are, are, were both members of the Howling Commandos in that original Nick Fury comic. Um we, we we keep say, keep saying original as if it was in the forties, and it like this is being written in sixty five, and these characters were first introduced in sixty three. <laughs> so, but I keep you know just by saying original, and the fact that it's in the forties sometimes makes you think they're long established characters, mm. which they're not. Uh, Gabriel Jones was the only African American on the team. And that was at a time when there was still segregation within military units. Ooh. I mean, the world's horrible and awful right now. I don't want to spend too much time dwelling on that, but just let that sink in. You're in the middle of a war, and you're still segregating in your military Ooh. units. Um, in fact, uh, in Gabriel Jones's first appearance, despite the writer, artist, colorist, and editor all knowing, writing, and intending, and drawing him, Gabriel Jones... A black man, the printing company thought that they had made a terrible error in their comic book. Oh, no. And they, quote unquote, corrected 
the error, and basically Gabriel Jones is white in the first issue, and so the colorist and, and the editor had to go and have a word with the company and say, no, 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 no. There's a black man in this comic. When we draw someone in color in to be black, that's a black man in the comic. Um, Correcting yeah. the error. That's that has a second horrible term to it now. But it it, it, it also displays the, the the absolute lack of black characters in in the mid sixties in comic books. Yeah, yeah. Oh um, dear. Oh dear. When Nick Fury took command of S.H.I.E.L.D., he sought out uh, Gabriel and brought him on board as someone he could trust within the S.H.I.E.L.D. organisation. Dum Dum Duggan, very briefly and originally, it's it's said he was born in Britain and he's a British soldier. And that that completely goes... I think it's just a little hat he wears. I think someone drew the design and went, oh, that hat, British. But they dropped that completely... Uh, because he's from Brooklyn, and they, they, they write about him being from Brooklyn for a long time. Um, Dum Dum is um, Sergeant Fury's second in command during the war, and served with Nick during the Vietnam War as well. Mm. Um, and then he joined the CIA when Nick Fury didn't work along in them. So, very long storied connection. And when Nick Fury joined S.H.I.E.L.D., um, Dum Dum kind of is recruited to be his second in command there as well. So Dum Dum's like a really prominent Shield character. Whenever you're going to use Shield um, in other comic books, but Nick Fury's dead or in space or busy, you'd use Dum Dum Duggan. That would be the character that you'd bring up and, and use instead. Um, and that, oh well, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh, he also hunted Godzilla in the seventies. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Um, I don't. I, Marvel... I, I, come on, come on! We got to go down this path, Doyle. This is too good. This is too good. You can do this. Marvel obtained the licensing rights to Godzilla in in the comic book form in in nineteen seventy seven, and so there's a whole comic book series that that is Godzilla in the Marvel universe. He goes on a rampage across America. <laughs> He starts fighting other kaiju. Uh, he clashes with um, the Avengers and also, uh, like the most prominent and popular superhero team of the seventies, the Champions. <laughs> that incredible team of Ghost Rider, Hercules, two X Men, <laughs> and the Black Widow. Um, this is starting to sound like one of those things where people go, "Have we? Did we discuss this?" There were like kids in the player going, who would win out of him or him and her? It's like, well, we, we did it officially and made Godzilla canon so we could uh, answer that <laughs> argument. So when that's all happening, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. put Dum Dum Duggan in charge of the Godzilla Squad, the official special Godzilla hunting unit. He gets his own Godzilla hunting helicarrier and Tony Stark builds him a kaiju mecha, a, a giant kaiju battling robot called Red Ronin, um, which is meant to destroy Godzilla. It's a hell of a series. That does sound. Yeah. Also, Dum uh, Dum, did you just did you explain where, where he got his name from? I might have missed that. Dum Dum, the Dum Dum part. I didn't, and I don't think it's ever given. Well, do you know? Because like, I know what Dum Dum is a reference to. It's Dum Dum bullets. They're a type of ammunition. They're expanding bullets. Oh, okay. They're, they're basically, they're, the end is hollow or crossed, I forget which, and when it fires, as it goes to the air, the force is, it, it makes it expand, so when it hits, it's more of a force. Dum-dum rounds. Maybe, maybe that's because he's big and stocky? 
I, I like to think because because when he runs, he expands. I like to think that's the. <laughs> Yeah, no, of course, that makes more sense than what he I said. runs and expands, right. knocks people over with more force. That's why they call him Dum Dum. Anyway, can't fault that logic. Can't fault that logic. <laughs> anyway, let's let's get back to the back to the film. Showing a recording of Quartermain's Quartermain's death with the with the killer taunting Fury by name and informed that the killer was Von Strucker's daughter, codenamed Viper. Fury deduces that Von Strucker's body was taken to harvest a pathogen known as the Death's Head virus, developed by Arnim Zola to be hey! yay. There's a flashback to be Hitler's doomsday weapon. Learning that Zola. It's just still, to interject, yeah. I just want to point out we were not cheering Nazis. Uh, <laughs> oh, <shit>. I realise <laughs> how weird that sounded because right after that you said Hitler. Um, yeah, we're just—it's no. a character we quite like f- from the comics. Down with Nazis, please continue. Uh, uh, I was about to say just the, char- the character we like for the comics is Zola, not the Führer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who is a supervillain? Let's not do this again. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Check, check back on some previous episodes where we discuss <laughs> Hitler's appearance in Marvel. <laughs> it's good. He, I re- he I, wears the purple Ku Klux Klan costume. I know. They really wanted to put that home. And, like, and then he's going, a ghost. How do we, how do we you know, show off uh, right-wing white supremacy, but also show off his artistic fabulousness? We'll make it purple. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so learning that Zola is still alive and being kept in a shield safe house in Berlin, Fury and Defontaine travel there. Meanwhile, at Hydra headquarters, Viper has a video conference with Strucker's ex-lieutenants from around the world and asserts her power to them by executing one of them they've kept prisoner. She tells them that Hydra will be in possession of the most dangerous weapon ever created. Okay, time for some positivity in this film. I love... Uh, Fury's leather outfit. If you're going right? to kick ass, you're going to have to wear something. I mean, okay, it's a flip on what you said about the X-Men. You said the X-Men had very boring, very characterless uh, full leather jackets. But in here, it works, obviously, because he's on his own. He's not part of a team. He's not. It, it, Nick Fury isn't known for wearing a colourful costume. He he does wear no, yeah. it. wears black. Also, let's not overlook the... I mean, I think we're running away from from this... Let's not overlook the powerful sexuality of David Hasselhoff. He is, he he is physically and you know he's got all the right dimensions. Yep. He's tall, he's broad, and he's got that stubble in this movie. And the eye patch works. The haircut's good. He he's a, he looks good. He looks badass I mean, and and like a I don't know, yeah, he looks like a badass hero. I mean, he, he's so sexy. He can still pull off sexiness. While laying on the ground eating a kebab being filmed by his daughter. <laughs> Do you remember that? Do you remember that video? Yeah. Yeah. But that I don't want to... But do you know what? I'll just say this about that. It made him very relatable. <laughs> it made him incredibly uh, relatable. Addiction is a journey. <laughs> I know, I know. Kebabs. He lives in, does, kebabs doesn't just... he live in Wales? He married a Welsh woman i don't think he lives in, i don't think he lives in wales but he married married a welsh woman yeah oh wow good yeah. fantastic Welcome to the family well <laughs> anyway straight straying away from that the only other thing uh, i want to say uh, one thing about sandra hess because this was what the one thing that pricked up for me because i, I saw other who films does she sandra in. hess play uh, she plays know. viper Let's, she plays viper there we go uh and the only other thing I've seen her in was Mortal Kombat Annihilation, the sequel to the Mortal Kombat movie. And the acting of that film is at a similar level to this. <laughs> the first Mortal Kombat movie is good. It is good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, well, it's critical. Fun. It's fun anyway. 
It, I'm very critical of uh, video game movies. I'm a big video game fan, and I think the best video game movie I've ever seen is Rampage. Super Mario Brothers? Oh. 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 Super Mario Brothers <laughs> is great for ironicness. For ironic. <laughs> it's probably the same as Street Fighter the movie. I kind of like the first Resident Evil film, but it's, you know, as a mm, okay B movie. But apart from that, bleh. But yeah, that's the only other film I've seen her in. And, you know, she, she, pulls, off, she pulls off a very cheesy German accent in this. <laughs> the, the kind where the, the costume she wears and, and all the, the weirdness you're expecting it to break into a Eurovision performance at any moment <laughs> <laughs> so Hydra is being run by Va- Baron von Strucker's daughter Viper played by the lovely Sandra Hess is she a comic book character is what I want to know the ant hmm. are we going to use the catchphrase <laughs> oh um I'm going to build up to it. In the first couple of issues of Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. Nick Fury does encounter the daughter of the the, the leader of HYDRA, mm-hmm. a woman called Laura Brown, who has followed her father into serving this evil organisation. But that's not what's going on here. The answer is sort of, but not really. Yay! Viper... Appears as a serpent-themed criminal in the in the seventies Captain America comic book series, part of a group of assassins and criminals called the Serpent Squad. In a first appearance, it's actually already a male criminal called Viper. Until this mysterious woman with green hair appears, murders him, and takes his identity, and then she is so ruthless and black-hearted that she takes over the control of the whole gang. I don't think it is um, hyperbole or a, or a reach to say that Viper is one of the like worst villains in the Marvel Universe. Okay. I mean, even worse than Sabretooth, because you really hammered that home how bad Sabretooth is. Sabretooth likes to get personal. Yeah. Viper loves death and chaos. She is almost nihilistic in in that, or she kind of probably. I think she's described herself as nihilistic, but kind of in a way where there's no actual philosophy towards. Anyway, she murders people because it amuses her. It makes her feel something. She's bored, or because she truly believes some people that she looks at shouldn't be alive. She creates this big criminal network that plagues Captain America and the X-Men and everyone, really. She tries to convince Spider-Woman that she's Spider-Woman's mom, despite the fact she looks younger than Spider-Woman or the same age. <laughs> really, She really messes with Spider-Woman's head. Yeah. She turned her criminal group into a terrorist organisation and allied that organisation with the Red Skull. Mm. And they started... Knocking boots, bumping uglies, sharing the sheets. Ooh, hello. Shagging. (laughs) Thank you for that. No other criminal or terrorist had ever formed like a bond or a relationship, a friendship, even a companionship with Viper. Because she is just so thoroughly vicious. And she just loves death and chaos so much, you do not know ever where you stand with her. And she's never ever really on your side. So Red Skull was amused by all of this at first. Okay. But after a while, Viper proved to be too chaotic for the Red Skull. 
<laughs> he 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 found out during their relationship that on the sly she'd been organizing massacres in different places around the world that had nothing to do with their plans did not benefit anyone in any way <laughs> she had just planned organized and funded massacres because she liked it and he was like Red Skull's like, nah, that one's a mad thing. And he he exited stage left. He got out of that toxic. <laughs> like, she was too toxic for the Red Skull, the supreme Nazi. She was too toxic for him. Um, at various times, she has been known as Madam Hydra. And she's taken charge of that group and been the top dog in charge and running all of Hydra. But she is not Baron Von Strucker's daughter. She right, has no connection. Sense. Strucker does have a daughter who is a superpowered mutant known as Fenris. But that's not Viper and that's not Madame Hydra. Right. So, okay. Yeah. I like what they did there. They combined they combined it quite well here, I think. Yeah. I, 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 I that's all I have to say. So continuing the film. In Berlin, they rendezvous with local Interpol agent Gail Ru- was it Run Resinter Resinter, Rus- and proceed to the safe house in the U-Bahn. Inside, an elderly wheelchair-bound Zola is being held captive by Shield, and they begin to interrogate him using Kate Neville's telepathy. Zola overpowers Kate with his evil visions of war and apocalyptic destruction. Apparently, someone has already been inside his head. Rincinta lures Fury away from the group, telling him that the safe house has been infiltrated. Making romantic advances on Fury, Gale shocks him with a device before revealing herself to be Viper in disguise. She then kisses Fury with poisoned lipstick, the kiss of death, leaving him unconscious, enabling Hydra to retake Zola. After a medical scan back on the helicarrier, Fury learns that he has... 48 hours to live unless he can recover a sample of Viper's DNA from which to develop an antidote. And so... Did a- did we need more stakes? I, we, like, we, we did need more stakes. There's a death's sta- head pathogen that they're going to use to destroy slash take over the world. I don't know if we need the 48 hours to live crank thing. Unless you definitely need another link to Snake Plissken, because in both films he's been told oh, you have a certain yeah. amount of time before before you did this mission, otherwise you that's, die. That's a very good point, Will. Yeah, you're talking to a big Snake Plissken fan here, so I, I spot these things. Oh, uh, one thing that annoyed me, and I had to I had to correct it in the notes. Uh, they called the Ubaum the subway, and I was like, it's the Ubaum. It's the underground train. You don't say that. You say metro in Paris. You say the underground in London. You say you say the subway in the US. But they're not making this for Germans. But but he's. Uh, I, I don't I don't care. <laughs> they this the thing where it's like oh what is an Ubam? Oh yeah, this is before the internet was any good. Anyway, so. He, so is now I don't know. I've written a note down to talk about how bad the dialogue is, but I think I'm just going to step on eggs if I start. No, this. crack on. I'm not going to say anything. You crack on. I don't know. I I I I I mean, yeah, they are cheesy. They are they are they are funny at times, but it's mostly cringing, isn't it? Some some of the dialogue. I don't. Cr- I mean, it's it, it's old. It is old, and it's 
ultra macho and it's TV movie action. I mean, is it any worse than watching a, an action movie from the 80s or 90s? I disagree. Aliens uh, had a great script. Even Aliens when... is not is not an action movie like this. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You mean you mean like something like with Bruce Willis or Arnie in? Do you mean or something? Yeah, there's there's quite a lot of them, and you just go, yeah, okay. Oh, but but stuff like Predator had some great lines in. So there's some great lines. Yeah, I think there are some great lines in this. Okay, 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 okay. I think you saw bad CGI very early. And you cannot enjoy anything beyond that. No, no, no. What happened is I panicked and pressed X on the controller and it didn't <laughs> skip. That's how, that's how bad the CGI looked. I, it made me think I was playing a video game. Oh, uh, okay. Also, uh, th- what a disguise. <laughs> the blonde-haired German lady turned out to be a completely different <laughs> blonde-haired German lady. What a great isn't disguise. That the, isn't that the perfect disguise? Ah, hiding in plain, ah, su- hiding in plain you, sight. You'd be yeah, suspecting yeah. the, the six-foot basketball player to be the, the German blonde lady. But not the German blonde lady. Not the, uh, <laughs> too obvious. Uh, okay, okay, I like that subtlety. Uh, also, I would have loved to see Hydra storm the safe house, like a scene showing that. But it looks like they blew their budget on the CGI. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. On the CGI that made me think, damn, I really want to go back and play the original Resident Evil. I'm sorry, guys, but I think we've got like another 16 of these uh, references before the end of the show. I'll do my best to steer him away from them, but I, I'm powerless, really. It looked like Tekken. It looked like the opening to oh. Tekken. That's what it looked like. <laughs> also, I, I, going back to the lines, um, was Fury ever this chatty? Because I felt he was a bit too chatty at times. Like some, I genuinely think some of the quips and the lines could have just been grunts. You know. Yeah, he's not. He's not. He's not. A, he's not a quipper. He's not yeah, really a quipper. He's a bit too verbose. I, I thought at times. That's what. I, 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 it was a bit like. Hmm. You, you shouldn't I, talk. Uh, that but much. I, I don't. I don't think they know how to do leading man. Otherwise, I don't because I don't think he's Arnie. Yeah. But yeah. He, Ar- I mean, Arnie's full of quips. I don't know what I'm talking about. He's yeah, but, not but, strong, but he's, silent. Well, you can't really have a strong, silent leading man action hero, really. Yeah, but everyone's got quips. Most of Arnie's bigger films, he's he's very he, he gets it right with the amount of, amount of lines he's saying, and he, he he's not so verbose with his quips. I feel like he's the, some of the quips in this are a bit. Uh, I think that they're trying to do it. They're, they're throwing a lot at the wall, trying to see what would stick. Yes, that's exactly what I thought. Great, we finally agree on something. It's. <laughs> It's two hours, 20, 24 episodes. Twenty oh, is it twenty? Well, well, I lost count. We we've been through so much. Also, we're seeing superpowers uh, being used here. So, does Nick Fury know any telepathic secret agents in the comic books? This gives me very Judge Dread vibes. Wasn't there? Well, a, pr- yeah. it predates that. Oh, hello. Judge Dread got it from. If they got it from anywhere, they got it from here. Oh, Lee nice. Kirby introduced telepathic agents as early as 1966. Nice. Originally called the ESP division because that's kind of what you know. It, I mean, it, it would eventually become known as the Psi division of Shield, but in the 60s, it's ESP, man. That's what extrasensory perception. Talking. Yeah, that, that's what everyone yeah. kind of referred to those kind of like psychic wasn't psychic powers. That wasn't kind of really a word and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Kate Neville is a comic book character. Um, something we see in this movie is that David Goya, the writer, wears his heart on his sleeve as a fan, and he doesn't miss an opportunity to 
include a character or a or a version of a character from the source material. So Kate Neville in the comic books is not part of side division. Um, she doesn't have like telepathic powers of any kind. During the eighties, in a really great series called Nick Fury versus Shield, um, Fury started to think that something was rotten within Shield, and he started to discover a plot to take over the organization. Uh, and not knowing who he could and couldn't trust, Fury had to resort to contacting and recruiting low-ranking, unimportant agents to support him. And Kate Neville was one of his allies. She was way down the pecking order. Mm. And um, he, he she helped him take S.H.I.E.L.D. down. And then once Fury rebuilt S.H.I.E.L.D., like a brand-new S.H.I.E.L.D., which was meant to be a smaller, more <laughs> contained S.H.I.E.L.D., that I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just thinking, what would the acronym for that be? It's still Shield. They do change it though. Okay. Um, but he, 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 he rebuilds a smaller Shield that he can personally run. So there cannot be people in this new organization that he doesn't know. Hmm. So he, you know, so it's less chance of being corrupted. Kate's one of the first recruits, and they briefly have a kind of like an, a relationship slash affair thing. Okay, okay, interesting. So, if everybody in this movie is from the comics, does that include uh, <laughs> the other German blonde lady, Gail Racinta, who's only in the movie for like two minutes? Is she a character? Because that is, that is quite a bizarre name, isn't it? Because they would have called her Gail Strop or Struppen or something very German-sounding. But no, it's Racinta. That's a very particular name. Is that a character? Come on, come on, stay with me. Well, just, it's, the name's thrown you, and so now you're actually asking, what's, why Why she got this name? Why did, they put this, no, why did they put this word in front of me? Why was it in a movie what? so many years ago, and now I've got to say it out loud? Who it's, do I, why who can't do I she, email about this? Why can't she have a proper name like Butt Lancaster? She's, Gail is in this movie. I mean, I think two minutes is, is, is being generous. Okay. Because she's not in the movie for two minutes. Is she? How, how long would you say she's in the movie for? Two minutes. Uh, let's say two minutes is the rough estimate, and I think that's about right. Gail is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent in the comic books. Okay, yeah. yeah. She, she only really ever appeared in Captain America comics. Okay. Um, which is where, in the, in the 80s, um, there's an awful lot of Captain America, an awful lot of S.H.I.E.L.D., in Captain America, and there is in the nineties as well, but there's a hell of a lot of it in the eight, in the eighties and early nineties. She fought, fights alongside Cap in in several different adventures, and over time, it became apparent that she had developed feelings for him. Ooh, ooh. During some downtime, Gale invites Steve Rogers. And they go for a, they go for a walk so they can talk about a mistake she made on a mission, and then she invites Steve Rogers back to her apartment for coffee. Ooh, ooh. And. Steve Rogers has apparently never seen Seinfeld because he thought that coffee <laughs> just meant coffee and he didn't know that coffee means coffee. Um, Are you making so, a Seinfeld reference or was yes. it, so is it or is that actually sort of implied in the comics? Oh, I've never seen Seinfeld because that would fit in with Captain America's persona. He never no, got around. I was just to making Cap- I was just making a Seinfeld reference. Okay. Um, Gale uh, tries to kiss Captain America, and Ooh. Steve's all like, "I have a girlfriend, and I'm also 
haunted by the memory of Sharon Carter's death, which was my fault. I can never be with someone who is a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, because the last one died on my watch. (laughs) And then Gail is like, okay, but hear me out, though. Why not have an affair with me? (laughs) I'm very discreet. And Captain America turns red and flounces out of the apartment in, in moral outrage. So that's that's Gail Rosinta. Gail Gail Rosinta. If she's not being, she's not disguising an evil German lady. She's seducing the best of all America. Yeah, that's right. So she she's evil either way. She's not evil. Evil seducing poor Cap in his moments of weakness <laughs> because he does not know what coffee implies. He's just trying to be a good guy. He's, he's trying, he's trying, and she's straying him away like the devil. Okay, so back to the film. After a very personal catch-up about Fury's romantic past with Contessa, he spots and shoots a lifelike robot of Jack Pincer, which broadcasts a message from Hydra to the crew of the helicarrier before self-destructing. Hydra threatens to attack Manhattan with the virus, barring payment of one billion dollars. There is no other way I can say that without thinking of Austin Powers. <laughs> and as proof of their threat, the real Gale Racinta is found dying from the virus. After Fury and his team brief the President of the United States, Pierce determines from a microchip and a laptop sold in the Aleutian Islands that the Hydra base might be there. Okay, um, maybe this is one of those things that, that, that makes sense in the comic books, but I have no idea why they needed to use a robot decoy to transmit a message when the infected Gale would work just fine as a message. Well, the infected Gale didn't say, give us a million quid. I, I would have I would have put a post-it note on, on her body. <laughs> they listen. It's all about when you when you're um, a startup business. It's all about it's all about perception of, of how important you are. If you use a post-it note instead of a robotic life model decoy, mm. then they're not going to think you deserve that billion dollars. They're going to think you're just a startup, and then Let's just just well, fob them off. Well, they're going to think them. they're going to think you're a startup anyway because you've drastically overspent your budget. <laughs> that we need the billion dollars to recoup the cost of this life model decoy, <laughs> yes, which cost about a billion dollars. A billion dollars, actually. Yeah, come to think of it, why are we even sending this message? I thought that was uh, very odd. Very odd. Um, before we get down to the woman with more names than anything i mean um the actress i i haven't seen the, sorry the actor the, i haven't seen the person who plays her in in much else apart from one episode of community where she played someone's mum who was over over competitive oh you met, you, that's right yeah you, she plays the 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 milf soccer mom the milf the, soccer because that was before of that, the obnoxious kids and this was this film was before she had loads of plastic surgery work uh, on her face Allegedly, alleged. But I, I, wait, wait, I read about this. Apparently, she she was pretty much like saying, "Oh, yeah, I've done, I've had that, whatever." Oh, okay then, okay, which, then. which is which is fine. But uh, um, that, that that's immediately where I recognised her from. She's got one of those faces that's really good for TV. The kind of faces you see in TV stuff, you know. Yeah, it's it's a cheesy face. Jesus I don't. I, I know. That I, poor woman listening to this now. I, I you, know it was. You bashed her. You, you first of all, you you, you gendered her. Yeah. Yep, then yep, you yep. bashed her from plastic surgery, and now you're saying she's got a cheesy face for TV. 
Who 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 would even think that this week was International Women's Day? People who would think <laughs> it was absolutely bad timing. No, uh, she, I, 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 just the only thing I've seen her in, and I'm just really surprised I haven't seen her in anything else. Because I mean, there you go. I'm just I'm just really 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 puzzled <laughs> by it. Anyway, uh, now that we've clearly rated the women <laughs> with a numbered system, because we are men and can easily do that because we're allowed, uh, let's talk about Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Okay. Um, well, as we said, everyone in this is a, is a comic book character. Yep. Con- Con- Contessa appeared prominently throughout Jim Sterenko's run on Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, she is an agent who literally threw Nick Fury for a loop when they first met. For a loop, um, what's, what's for- she? For you don't know what for a loop means. No. What are you questioning? I, I, y- she threw him for a loop. What's what's that? Threw him for You've a loop. You've never heard the phrase. Oh, you throw me for a loop there. Nope, never heard of it. You- okay, well, I, I can't. I can't do in this. Every other human being knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> we'll just have to carry on. It's okay. a regular. It's a regular phrase. Sure, whatever you say, whatever they say up there in the Midlands, <laughs> wherever you're from. We have proper language in the <laughs> South. Hampshire is great. So she she impressed Nick Fury when, uh, <laughs> when they first met by executing this like judo throw that flipped him across the ah, room. And that's what it is. Great. It, no, no, that's that was a wordplay. Throw throw someone for a loop is a is a is a phrase that does not mean judo throw, but there was a bit of wordplay. That's why it says literally threw him for a loop. I can't do this anymore, Will. We're breaking up. I, I this is the end of yeah. the podcast. He's, he's thrown me a loop here. I hope I've used that correctly. <laughs> no, you haven't. You haven't used it correctly. On brand. On brand. <laughs> okay. So basically, she's introduced a lot like uh, Pussy Galore in Goldfinger. Hmm. When Bond first meets Pussy Galore, she does this like, judo flip throw thing to to like, and, it, and he's like, "Oh my, a woman attacked me and was overpowered me," and that's the same. So that's kind of the setup for the Contessa that she is, you know, this sixties forthright Bond girl kind of character. She quickly becomes Nick Fury's love interest, mm. um, and she was featured in a very controversial, silent one-page seduction sequence in Ooh. Agent of Shield issue two. Hello, that that the comic book code authority had a big problem with. So, one panel of this page has the stereo in Fury's apartment to show that there was music playing, mm. cigarettes in the ashtray. Mm-hmm. And a sequence of intercut shots where Contessa moved closer to him very intimately. There's a kiss, there's a, a rose, and then there is this is the damning one the phone, the telephone off the hook. Oh my god, that's the international sign for intercourse. It, it 100% is. It, it's like in the old movies where they'd kiss and then the camera would pan off them to the curtains. Yeah. That means yeah. the shagging. Um, and the then there was another panel of them uh, under their arms around each other. Mm. Basically, it was an after-the-fact one. And the Comic Code Authority crashed down hard on this in 1965. No, 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 no. Not 1965 at all. Uh, 60, 67, 68. Um, 
and so yeah so she was quite famous for that and Sterenko would draw her very alluringly like the Bond girls in the movies and the Code Authority would come down quite a lot and say Contessa needs to be redrawn less buxom less attention to her legs or whatever (laughs) her relationship with Nick Fury carried on for for many many years in the comics but it it was always depicted as a casual one it's never uh, we're in love it was you know two very driven people who have the same occupation lots of adrenaline and they're doing the nasty on the side um and of course, I'm sure there's a lot of affection, but not quite love. <laughs> she, she, she rose. We've all been there. She rose in prominence in Shield and becomes like a key figure in 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 leadership. In the modern comics, uh, Contessa betrays Shield to Hydra and is revealed as being a Hydra agent for for a long, long time, all along. Mm. And then she betrays betrays Hydra to a new terrorist group, and later on, she becomes the new Madam Hydra. But that's like it within the last ten years or so. Madame Hyde, geez, that's a journey. Okay, so back to the film. Fury has his uh, has his people split into two teams. One led by Defontaine, heading to Manhattan to find the refrigerated truck they believe will be needed to deploy the virus, and the other with Fury leading Pierce and Kate to the Aleutian Islands. Upon arriving in the Aleutian Islands and confirming that a hydro transmission has come from there, Fury's plate is shot down by heat-seeking missiles. Meanwhile, in Manhattan, DeFontaine's team figures out that the refrigerator truck is disguised as a garbage truck, while Fury and his team, having bailed out of the airplane in time, infiltrate the Hydra base. So, uh, this is—I uh, I, don't—I th- don't think this will uh, anybody else will know about this bit. This, this, the truck, the virus truck reminded me uh, of the London level in Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, where you are on the hunt for bioweapons being taken, carried in trucks in, oh, in right. London. And it, it has a very, very grim ending, let's put it that way. But a very exciting leading up to it, and you play as the SAS, and it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Obviously, this is the first piece of evidence and the idea that Call of Duty is part of the same shared... It's a spin-off, really, of David Hasselhoff's Nick Fury. Yeah, let's go with that. I think. I think. <laughs> don't worry. I don't think any Call of Duty fans are going to yell at me down the microphone uh, for saying that. Uh, also, uh, one thing I was, spo- uh, was spotted out, and, and wait a second, hear me out. Germans infiltrating New York to enact a fiendish plan in broad daylight using garbage trucks. This film is <laughs> Die Hard with a Vengeance. Die Hard with a You're Vengeance. You're right. Absolutely You're absolutely right. right. You can't, yeah. They they were pretending to be Americans at one point. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right. I I think Die Hard with a Vengeance. Although you could argue that the sequels are no way as good as the first. I still think that Die Hard with a Vengeance has some great moments and some great ideas, including the whole Germans <laughs> infiltrating uh, the the whatever the the gold. Oh, it's a great movie. Great, great, great film. Great film. Okay, so I think we should talk a bit about Hydra. Uh, more for the Marvel comics. No, we talked about it before, but let's 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 let, let's let's milk more of that precious Hydra teat. Let's teat. milk the teat of Hydra. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, they, they 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 were created very much as the Marvel version of Spectre or Smirsh or yeah. Thrush. Thrush. Um, Did you just say Thrush? They, yeah, that's the that's the organization in Man from Uncle Thrush. Right. Those are the bad guys. The bad guys. Listen, we all know how bad Thrush can be. <laughs> if you 
If you don't take care of thrush swiftly and immediately, it will leave you. You'll be stinging. There'll be a lot of uh, a lot of unpleasantness. So you've got to wipe yeah. thrush out as soon as you encounter thrush. I think that's a very apt name. Sorry, just caught me off guard. Preferably got- with the man from Uncle. Um, <laughs> it, it appears the very first uh, issue of, of Agent of Shield. As soon mm. as the we the reader find out about Shield, we find out about Hydra. The story is already in in motion when we start reading Agent of Shield, and Hydra have assassinated the director, which is why Nick Fury's been recruited. Hydra, no Fury is being recruited. Because their assassins are already after him, which indicates that they have spies at the highest level. Hmm. Um, and in those early issues of Agent of Shield, Hydra, there's this kind of unique introduction of the vil- almost the villain of the week or the month. Hydra's unique approach: whichever Hydra agent is tasked with killing Nick Fury, when they fail in that issue. They are then murdered at the end of the issue by a brand new agent who takes their place and becomes the new agent set to kill Nick Fury. So it's a constant thing. If you don't kill Fury, you will be killed. The next assassin will just get rid of you. So the Hydra agents are literally fighting for their for their lives. It's all, it's almost um, like uh, it, it, it's it, what is it? If, if one of us dies, two shall take our place, sort of thing. Well, well, yeah, it's almost almost this in line with that. If you fail, one other shall take your place. If you kill us, what one will take my place? Well, that would be yeah. the world's most terrible Hydra. Be like, oh, the head just grows back. No, no more. Just, just one. Just, one. just we just we we hire another person to we, be the new head. There's a process. I mean, it, it is inconvenient for us. It takes a lot of vetting, and we've got to get references. Um, so to begin with, Hydra is led by this boring businessman called Arnold Brown, <laughs> which is the worst name. Um, and, and, and Hydra in this form are more akin to like... I mean, his henchmen, however, mm. all, they're not very... Un- they, they, they do act undercover, but a lot of the time, when they're in like Hydra headquarters or blasting their guns in broad daylight they wear these glorious green and yellow vibrant costumes and and masks and in this form hydra are more akin to a criminal underworld Mm. a group of powerful criminals rather than international terrorists Um, they have this oath in 1965 which parts of which we have seen echoing through the the mcu this is the oath, direct quote from, from whatever issue this is. Hail Hydra, immortal Hydra, we shall never be destroyed. Cut off a limb and two more shall take its place. That's not a Hydra. Uh, we serve none but the master, as the world will soon serve us. Hail Hydra. Um, yeah, fundamentally misunderstanding what a Hydra is. A Hydra, you cut off um, the head and two grow back, isn't it? Yeah. And they they draw their their image. Yep, here is, we go. Is, is is not a hydra. It's a, it's an octopus. It's a kraken for some reason with lots of tentacles. Although to be fair, anyway. the kraken what it looks like is heavily debated anyway. Shield quickly crush Hydra in the early issues, mm. and the leader Arnold Brown is killed, and that's the end of that. Like after this defeat. We get then one of Marvel's earliest retcons. They decide to bring Hydra back, but they were wiped out straight away. Not straight away, but pretty soon. Yeah. And 
when they decide to bring Hydra back, they use this nice little retcon. Retcon, for folks listening at home, which is everyone, stands for Retroactive Continuity. And it's a comic book device, and sometimes in gaming and stuff, and general modern fiction, where they alter something about the past to make something different happen in in the modern day, right? So this particular retcon is a revelation, and I don't really think this is technically a retcon, (laughs) but it's a revelation that Hydra were originally tied to the Red Skull and the Nazi party of the 1940s. So when they decide to bring Hydra back... They return with a new background as remnants of the Nazi party. They return with this new connection. This is to to Nick Fury. This is an enemy he's been fighting his entire life. Um, All that time with the Howling Commandos. This is just an offshoot of that now. Um, And they return, because Arnold Brown is dead, they return with a deadly and impressive new leader, Baron Wolfgang von Strucker. Impressive. Okay, back to the film. Fury realises that it was too easy to get in. Just before his team is captured and stripped of their weapons, Viper reveals to him that she will release the virus even if they are paid and locks Fury and his team in a freezer. Fury reveals that in place of his missing left eye, he keeps an explosive which they are able to use to escape. Reaching Viper's control room, Fury and Viper fight until she gets hold of a gun and shoots him. However, it turns out to be Fury's life model decoy. Hey! Life model decoy dies instead of him. Dare I ask, is that Deus Ex Machina? No. Okay. It's not. It's not something that dropped out of the clear blue sky to save the day. It was introduced at the start. So, to your point earlier, it is a bit more akin to you know Chekhov's pistol Chekhov's gun pistol Chekhov's yeah. pistol Chekhov's gun you, 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 we, we've introduced the means by which the hero will av- save the day or avoid the problem that's been introduced and documented and set up yeah um, if a life model decoy had not been introduced before and they had to go I just used um, this rob- robotic clone re- replica that we've all got and no one used yet until now then you'd be a bit cheesed off yeah, it's, it'll be a terrible device. Uh, speaking of bad lines, uh, I was top of my sneaking class at advanced silent killing. I could do this in my sleep. Says the man, out loud, sneaking up on someone. I love that line. <laughs> I was greatly enjoyed it and very amused. I mean, it was like, it was like, it was the overconfidence and it was like, and I was, because I, I play a lot of sneaking games. I like, I like my Hitman, I love my Splinter Cell, I love my Metal Gear Solid. And I was, I was watching this, I was just thinking, he's going to hear you boasting, and he's not going to be happy. <laughs> I mean, hearing, hearing the enemy is one thing, but hearing the enemy boast about sneaking up on you, oh, they, they're, they're going to pull down your trousers. They're going to... Blimey, what, what games do you play? Uh, spanking. <laughs> Metal Gear Spanking. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> this so, episode, I, I don't. I, if you're in, if you're new to the show, folks, I gotta. I might have to step in and apologise. I don't think this episode has been a reflection of what normally goes on. We, we're normally a lot more focused. I, I, I don't know where where we went off the rails with this one. It was right at the start, I think. But 
Blimey. But Lancaster. I think but Lancaster. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, let's power through. Power through. We're, we're, we're towards the end anyway. Um, now, this... Okay, okay. This is me being, being fiddly again. Can we talk about how small his cigars are? He's, he has very small cigars. They're like a Cafe Creme or, or you know, those little... Small ones you get in the tin. Yeah, there are some cigars are that small, aren't they? But yeah, that's not reflective. What what he chomps on in the in the in the comic books are big, you know, yes. stogies as they'd say, oh. stogies. See, I, um, I, because they're visually more dynamic and attractive, I suppose. Oh yeah, yeah. The thing is, I I I, I don't really smoke. I, I got a pipe rack and some pipe tobacco. I have every now and again, you know, but I rarely yeah. have it have it these days. But every now and again, uh, there's a nice uh, tobacconist in Mayfair that I I pop down to. No, I, sorry. Yes, I walk down there in a three piece suit and a walking stick because I'm so fancy. And I, I, it's like a treat thing. Once a year treat, get a cigar for Christmas, and it's like twenty quid. Big cigar, boom. You know, it's very similar. Me and my friends are very similar. Yeah. And one year, I went to the tobacconist in in the local market, mm. and I was looking for some um, some tobacco for my pipe. I don't proclaim to know a lot about tobacco, but I was I was looking for something that was kind of a little a little sweet, not not overly yeah. harsh. I yeah. said, yeah. I like a smooth one in my pipe. I said, could you recommend? So I had something that was nearly cherry-like once before. I have I said, cherry. You, I always get the I cherry said, one. Yeah. I said, can you recommend? What can you? What can you recommend for me? This is a, a little tobacconist stall. This thing is just full tobacco, tobacco, yeah. tobacco, head to toe. Right? There's, it doesn't sell anything else. What can you recommend for me? And this guy looks me dead in the eye and says, "I can't help you, mate. I don't smoke myself." <laughs> <laughs> It's like a vegan butcher. What's going on? Don't get high anyway. on your own supply, man. Don't get high on your own supply. Okay, okay. So, does the comic book Nick Fury have an explosive whereas I should be? It was a neat little trick, wasn't it? It was. A, it was. I like that. But this is the thing. It reminded me of a Resident Evil game where one of them has a pair of sunglasses. And then they what they do is when they need to escape, they throw it on the floor and it's like a flashbang grenade. And all I can think of... If you're carrying explosives that close to your face or inside your eye, I would be constantly worried that it could go off by accident if, it, if things get too hot or something. Yeah, but you also probably wouldn't be a gun-toting hero that bursts into rooms and okay, dives yeah. in front of gunfire, would you? So <laughs> they're probably okay with it. I think my anxious disposition would uh, disqualify <laughs> me from a lot of this. So yeah, uh, It's documented a couple of times in the comic books that Nick Fury... Does have two eyes. Oh, okay. He he's not have a missing eye. He is effectively blind in, in one of his eyes mm. and he wears an eye patch for the purposes of disguise. He is <laughs> Nick Fury is famous for being the one eyed guy, the guy with the mm. eye patch. So anytime he needs a quick escape, he just takes the eye patch off changes the colour of his hair, okay. and suddenly he is not the guy you're looking for anymore. Okay, that's actually quite good. That's quite Classic old-school spy stuff. Yeah. No, no, that, 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 is, that isn't a, like, a, like an old-school, like, hey, it's like a James Bond trip. That's actually genuinely good. That's yeah. a very, very quick way of changing And it. it's a real long setup. He's been, he wears the, he's been wearing the eye patch for decades, yep. just in case. I like that. I like that. It's really good. Also, uh, they're not Deus Ex Mechanas, we, we agreed on that, but they're, they're a bit too convenient. What can you tell us about life model decoys? 
I think the really cool thing about this movie is that it has been written by a fan. Yeah. I mean, we see that in other characters they use. Like, all the big stuff they do they do and use is right there in the first issue of Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Hydra and the Helicarrier and, yes, life model decoys. The, the LMDs are the first weird thing <laughs> that happens to Fury in the comics. He's summoned to the Pentagon and they make a bunch of these robot copies of him to go out there and throw assassins off the scent um it's it spawned really out of the the stories of hitler's doubles that were yes. very prevalent in the 50s and 60s the idea that people who are targets for assassination have these body doubles that are out there in the world walking around so you don't mm. know which one you're going to get so in the marvel universe instead of uh, a human another person that looks similar they have robotic science fiction body doubles um they are designed to duplicate all outward aspects of the living subject. Um, they got more advanced over the years to the point where the owner can see through, speak through, and control everything the LMD does. Um, Nick Fury is the most common like one because they're really expensive. But, you know, people like Tony Stark have had them in the past, things like that. Um, but it, they're designed to be an exact double. So much so that they don't just... So they've got the same fingerprints. They have ah, got your hair. Very nice. All the details of the skin. Speech patterns. They smell like you. Uh, there are times when Wolverine can't tell the difference by scent. They have the retina patterns. They can pass any retina scan your body language, and they also have a, a science fiction style copy of your thought patterns to full telepaths. So the, these would be, the good ones are indistinguishable from a real person. Um, they're really, really expensive and really, really high tech. Um, and they're kind of strong as well. In that 1980s series that we talked about, Nick Fury versus S.H.I.E.L.D., it was the first time in 20 years that Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. had been the... the had their own series, been the prominent players. For the, for the last 20 years, since the end of Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., they, they had been part of the backdrop of the Marvel Universe, and they'd been involved in loads of stories, but they never had their own comic. So, not not since the 60s. So, mm. they got they got their own series again, limited series in 1988, Nick Fury vs. S.H.I.E.L.D. It's a limited series where, as I said, Nick Fury discovers something is wrong with S.H.I.E.L.D., and what's wrong is there's a rogue life model decoy active in S.H.I.E.L.D. replacing agents with more LMDs. And he starts to turn the whole organization against Nick Fury. It's a cool series. That sounds all. Oh, he does know of, who he can trust. Full, full of LMDs. That's paranoia fuel. That is. So, we're we're down to the last bit now. Meanwhile, Fontaine tracks down Hydra's hideout at the docks. Henchmen are arming missiles with the virus to hit Manhattan. After a brief shootout, Fontaine kills the other Strucker sibling before he's able to launch the missiles. Back at the Hydra base, sorry, Fury captures Viper and Kate uses her telepathy to draw the code to abort the detonation from Viper's mind. The helicarrier arrives and captures the rest of Hydra's forces, but Viper escapes with the body of her father. Fury decides to return to S.H.I.E.L.D. to counter the new threat of Hydra, while Viper is shown to have restored her father, Baron Von Strucker, to life. Okay, 
we didn't get much time with the other sibling, did we? I forgot he was in the movie. <laughs> yeah, same. I, I forgot about him completely because he sort of pops up and it's like, oh, we just needed someone who looks like one of the henchmen from Die Hard. In in the comic books, um, and Andrea and Andrus von Strucker are mm. Fenris. They are uh, mutant uh, mutant baddies, really. Yeah. Um, and Andreas goes on to become swordsman at some point. Andreas just dies. Yeah. Um, and 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 the one that just died there, he gets uh, stabbed through the gut by the green goblin Ooh. and dumped out of a window into like the side of the hills. Yeah. Oh damn, that's a lot. So uh, this is the only Marvel film I've watched where I didn't wait for an after credit screen. I pretty much stopped trying there because I knew there wasn't going to be one. No, it isn't. We watch Blade and X Men and Spider Man. Oh. Blade didn't, <laughs> and X Men. None of them did. None of them. Uh, did. They, none of them. X Men did. didn't do after credit screens until the third one, did they? No, neither did the three Spider Man movies we yeah. watched. Well, that was a point that really shot down uh, any <laughs> faith anyone ever had in me. Okay, we've brought. <laughs> let's let's move away from this and talk about something else. Uh, we've briefly talked about him in Age of Ultron, but what do we know about Baron von Strucker? We know he's an important character, isn't he? <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, I mean, he certainly does become one with Hydra. I mean, mm. his first appearance, his first appearance is multiple, with a year before Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. was written. Because he, he, he turns up as an evil Nazi commander in the Howling Commandos book in World War Two. So when Stan and the gang decided to bring Hydra back for a second go, they do that retcon where now Hydra... Is is it, the past of the organization is that basically it's been a secret Nazi sort of aligned organization, hmm. so created by the Red Skull but ran by Baron von Strucker. Basically, the Red Skull could see at the end of the war that Hitler was losing yeah. and he was not a good bet anymore. So he sends his like his like second in command Strucker out to find allies in Japan and other countries to form an alternative power base to the Nazi party. Mm. The Nazis are done. We need to take all of this, our knowledge, our men, our evil and our resources and put it somewhere else because Germany's done now. And so the Red Skull need a backup plan and that's what Hydra was. Um, So they, they introduced a series of retcons that basically... The, that boring old uh, businessman, uh, what was his name? Aaron Brown, Darren Brown? Darren Brown. Not Darren Brown. Uh, it was Aaron, Aaron Brown or something. Yeah. The, he was the head of Hydra. Well, he was set up, he was just a patsy set up by Strucker. And so Strucker eventually reveals himself as the true leader and unleashes a death spore bomb, uh, very similar to this, this death's head, you know, virus. Um, are from Hydra Island. We did talk a little bit about this previously. Mm. Um, Nick Fury. It says that you know Hydra's back, Strucker's back. They have this big fight on Hydra Island, and Nick Fury uses one of the high tech gadgets that Shield have got, a mask which is indistinguishable from a real person's <laughs> face, and he puts it on and he says, "No, 
I'm the real Baron von Strucker. Shoot him. And his men go, go, you whatever you say. And they start opening fire. So in a, in a wild panic, not thinking what he's doing, uh, Strucker runs into a nuclear reactor. No. <laughs> uh, like like a, a chamber where there's a nuclear process going on. is immediately incinerated. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's... Von Strucker in the sixties. He does come back in various. He gets Hydra, then become Arcane, uh, and they put all their abilities and power and effort into resurrecting Baron Von Strucker from the dead. Our will, as ever, you have ably taken us through the movie there and put to bed. Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. from 1998. It was full of twists, turns, surprises and infuriating moments. Uh, what are your final thoughts on, on this on this instalment of the Marvel journey? Painfully 90s. It's incredibly 90s, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and yet you said that it feels like an 80s movie in some respects. It's, it's some res- okay, this is it. In some respects, it does feel like a cheesy 80s romp. But then other aspects like the X Files style music, the CGI, yeah. it feels very nineties. So it's also. Did you notice this? They had they had the awkward camera angles. You know the sort of tilted camera angles that you have. They loved them. Shows. They loved them. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was what is that about? Who? who what was that as a staple of? <laughs> well, well, I mean, I mean, a little bit of the, the Batman sixties show. Mm. Um, the Batman sixty six series, but I, I can't I can't think why they were being used. At all. No idea. No clue. <laughs> I guess I guess then the big question really is which version of, of Nick Fury do you prefer? Okay. Uh I this is a this is a hard I, well not not it's not gonna be a hard one actually, well, easy for me because I know less Nick Furies than you do. Are we talking about obviously just on the screen then, aren't we? Yeah, 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 just yeah. I mean, wh- wh- which do you prefer? You, you personally, what to your gut reaction? What, what do you prefer? Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel L. Jackson is just one of those people who could just walk into a film and instantly improve it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. I mean, if you were to ask me, which Nick Fury is the closest to the to the to the comic books? Um, yeah. That, who would you say? Because you've already said got about David Hasselhoff, so I was going to say that. I mean, physically, he looks like. I mean, this <laughs> this Nick Fury. So, what I said at the top of the show is that that Hasselhoff said something about Stan Lee that I think is probably accurate. I think his version is quite close to Stan Lee's version of Nick Fury. Yes, macho, cigar chomping, tough guy. But that's not really the cool Nick Fury. The best Nick Fury is that Starenko one, where he is, where he is cool and sophisticated and bad. He's the coolest guy in the room. Mm. That's not what we see we, in this movie. We see the gruff brawler, really. Yeah. The, the the coolest guy in the room is much much more the Samuel L. Jackson Nick Fury. Um, he also has tons more of cool like the moment when you go oh he's got the coolest car in the entire world in winter soldier yes yes and he's just he he's he has a level of confidence because of because of the he knows what he's got and what he's using and how to do these things and 
bit. I, I, I am genuinely a little disappointed we didn't get to see kind of more of that, really, because before you know it, he goes from a background character to he's on the run and he's got to go back to basics and he doesn't have cool cool gadgets anymore and he's and that's that, that's more of a I would say a Brian Michael Bendis version of Nick Fury, which we get quite in the modern modern stories. I think Hasselhoff looks absolutely fantastic in the role. <laughs> Genu- I'm so impressed at how well that is uh, that is aged, and I do think he looks so much like the Nick Fury I grew up reading. But I don't think it's much of a contest. The Nick Fury should be the coolest guy in the room, and that's Samuel. Samuel Jackson is the coolest guy in every room. When it comes to the reading list for this episode, I can really recommend... I mean, if you can get your hands on the uh, collection, the, the Jim Starenko Agent, Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. collection, there's various different... You know, there's like an ultimate collection, which I think is a hardback and has got everything in. You don't need to go out, you know, mad like that, but you could get hold of some trade paperbacks of Jim Starenko, S-T-E... R-A-N-K-O Sturranko His Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. is absolutely gorgeous Absolutely gorgeous Yes, the the writing and the dialogue will be a bit dated But trust me No comic before or since has ever been like this It's incredible Uh, Even if you're just going to look at it, it's incredible And I also really recommend then, uh, based off this episode The Nick Fury vs. S.H.I.E.L.D. From 1988, there's a couple of nice collections of that. Nick Fury versus S.H.I.E.L.D. That's when Fury discovers S.H.I.E.L.D. has been uh, overtaken by a life model decoy that's gone rogue. And he has to battle it and he doesn't know who to trust and he goes on the run. Um, Some gorgeous painted artwork of the covers of that. Starenko came back and did a painted cover. Joe Jusko did one. Uh, I think Howard Chaikin did one. I'm not 100% sure on that. But yes, it's a great, it's a really good, fun story from Bob Harris, who's a Marvel legend. Um, so check that one out. And while you're checking things out, head over to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Every month we drop a full-length bonus episode. We just did House of M, and we did multiple hours spent talking about Wanda, her darkest moments, the destruction of the Avengers. In the archive there, we've got the Age of Apocalypse episode, Superior Spider-Man episode. We've got so many great lengths. One's about the formation of the Guardians of the Galaxy. We've got loads of great full-length bonus episodes. Those are available to our top-tier £10 bonus VIEP tiers but starting in April we're going to be releasing every month a a mini episode of obscure Marvel characters we can't wait to be bringing those to you every single month and those are going to be for all tiers if you're a £3 tier uh, subscriber you already get access to some mini bonus episodes but now you're going to get one every month from your boys we love you. We appreciate all the support, um, and uh, it's a never ever been a better time to to sign up to Marvel versus Marvel on Patreon. Thanks for listening to Marvel versus Marvel. Please take the time to rate us, like us, subscribe, write a review. Hey, why not recommend us to a friend who loves Marvel? Join us next time as we deal with X-Men Origins Wolverine.